And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. That's a little hot. How's everybody doing? We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hyde. I'm the editor here at sci fi for mecom Happy to have all of you with us. Uh, I've had my Fruit Loops this morning. We're all set to go. I apologize for starting the stream a little bit late. We have a visitor. We have a guest office dog out in the yard. Everybody say hi, Todd. And to say hi to everybody who is listening to us as a podcast. We are broadcasting live right now to YouTube, Odyssey, and Rumble. So do uh, do check out the live video every now and again. If you are here in replay, uh, you can leave a comment, share your thoughts. Of course, there's always the social media, the email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com, Discord, where you can connect with us there. And I will start there uh, with with a story, but first of all, I have a request. I have a I have a request. Some something that I'd like to do just as a bit. And this is not a completely refined idea, but here's my thought. If each and every one of you within the sound of my voice would take your digital recording device and just say, hi, Todd, and then send it to me, then we can do kind of like on Cheers, anytime Norm showed up. Norm! Everybody's like, hi, Todd! I don't know, it's just a thought. <coughs> anyway. Um, okay, so from this morning, uh, I get a... Uh, what in the world? Oh, I guess that's the dogs. Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, okay, sorry about that. My... my uh, uh, my 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 community over on Discord, Death Angel Shadow shares this story, and uh, so I have traced it back to the original. This is uh, something that we have been talking about, speculating about, uh, anticipating for quite some time. Uh, Neon and the gang over at Clownfish TV also have been speculating about this. There's been discussion about this, but it's been poo-pooed. Oh, it's not going to happen. There's nothing. Not, well, maybe there's something to it. This is a website called speeddaily.com. It's in uh, Chinese, I think. Uh, and it comes to us, I, I traced it back to this as the source, the headline exclusive. Hasbro seeks to sell the well-known IP Dungeons & Dragons and has made preliminary contact with Tencent. Now, this is something that we have speculated on that Hasbro at some point might be getting rid 
of the D&D franchise. Now, here's my question. Is it just D&D? Because Wizards of the Coast is the owner of the D&D brand license. Wizards of the Coast also owns Magic the Gathering. So let's dig into this just a little bit. Snow Leopard Finance has exclusively learned. Now, I have tried to find it. It looks like maybe Snow Leopard Finance might be some kind of an investment firm out of Hong Kong. I don't know that for sure. I haven't been able to, to, to verify who Snow Leopard Finance is. <coughs> Snow Leopard Finance has exclusively learned that the American toy company Hasbro is seeking to sell its well-known IP Dungeons & Dragons, and Tencent is one of the potential buyers. Negotiations are still in the early stages, and the two parties have not yet agreed on the details of the transaction. According to people familiar with the matter, the financial crisis Hasbro is facing, hmm, wonder why, is the main reason why it is considering selling D&D. And Larian Studios, invested by Tencent, is the intermediary for this transaction. Baldur's Gate 3 developed by Larian Studio, won the 2023 TGA Game of the Year Award and is considered one of the most successful D&D adaptation games. Is, wait, is, Baldur, is Baldur's Gate 3 a D&D game? I know it's a fantasy game, but I didn't realize that Baldur's Gate was an actual D&D title. Is it? It is. Kev says yes. Okay, I did not realize this. I knew it had druids and, and all the orcs and whatever. I didn't realize it was actually an official D&D thing. Uh, Cam says, for the record, I did not think this would happen. <laughs> I, you know, mm, okay. Um, the studio is regarded by Hasbro as one of the potential target buyers. However, due to insufficient funds, Larian finally introduced the deal to shareholder Tencent. So Larian didn't have enough by itself to uh, to say, uh, yeah, we'll buy it. So they're going to their Chinese masters at Tencent and say, hey, we need money to buy this thing. Uh, according to the financial report, as of the third quarter of 2023, Hasbro had, has suffered losses for four consecutive quarters due to the drag in its main business of toy sales. Hmm, wonder why. From fourth quarter 2022 to third quarter 2023, the cumulative loss exceeded $500 million U.S. In second quarter 2023, there has even been negative free cash flow. According to Forbes, in response to the crisis, the company significantly laid off employees last year, laying off more than 1,900 employees, accounting for more than 20%. <coughs> and we reported on that when Hasbro let go of everybody. Of course, everybody's letting go of people. Paramount's about to let go of a lot of people. And it, the, that, that, the, the employment purge is going to continue through 2024. We are going to continue to see those stories crop up. Uh, as uh, as the year progresses. Uh, although the company is in a loss-making situation overall, the D&D-related IP it holds are high-quality assets, and it has achieved considerable success in video game adaptations. 
Baldur's Gate 3, launched by Larian Studio last year, achieved both fame and fortune. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, it was kind of a mixed bag in terms of fame. Uh, it not only won six TGA awards, including Game of the Year, but also surpassed the Harry Potter IP at a commercial level with revenue of $657 million U.S. The adapted game Hogwarts Legacy became the most profitable buyout game on PC last year. The success of Baldur's Gate 3 is also reflected in Hasbro's financial data. Financial report shows that in the third quarter of 2023, after Baldur's Gate 3 and another Monopoly IP game, Monopoly Go, uh, driven by Hasbro's electronics games and licensing-related business, bucked the trend and achieved a year-on growth of 40%. Well, not bad. So... <coughs> Interesting development here. A person from Tencent's IEG, uh, Interactive Entertainment Business Group, told Snow Leopard Finance that Tencent's IEG Global Department, which is responsible for overseas business, will conduct negotiations with the intention of acquiring a series of rights, including D&D's video game adaptation rights. According to the above-mentioned IEG source, Tencent currently holds the game adaptation rights of many top IPs. Uh, however, because the licensing model is mostly not a one-time buyout, Tencent not only has to bear high copyright fees and long-term revenue sharing, but also often engages in research and development, operational constraints from partners. Uh, if this acquisition is successful, it will enable Tencent to gain dominance over the Dungeons & Dragons IP, which will largely avoid those problems. Okay, so it looks like maybe, possibly, uh, the Communist Chinese Party might be getting ready to acquire Dungeons & Dragons. How do you feel about that? Will that make things better, or will it make it worse? Is this the sort of thing that you really want to have happen? Is it, is it okay for, uh, for somebody else? I mean, I know we've been saying that Hasbro needs to dump D&D. Well, Hasbro needs to dump Watsy Because Wizards of the Coast is not doing Dungeons & Dragons any favors. But is this any better? I don't know. Weatherman says 50-50. Matt, when you join us in the chat, good to see you there. Let's uh, shout out to everybody else. Weatherman here, Cam's here, Keeley's here. Uh, Jonathan is a new name in the chat. Good to see you uh, as well. Uh, Keeley says, sell it to Warner Brothers Discovery. <laughs> I, I don't know that that would be any better because Warner Brothers Discovery is trying to dump a bunch of stuff too. I mean, they're, they're still in financial straits uh, themselves and it doesn't look like that's uh, maybe, uh, maybe better, but I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is just... It's, it's interesting to watch all of this progress on the financial side because, you know, Warner Brothers is still trying to write the ship. After the after the AT and T ownership, and you have the you have the stuff going on over at Disney with the with the proxy war, bum bum bum, and then you have Paramount 
now uh, looks like it's going to be up for sales. Now, Skydance Studios had made an offer. And uh, yesterday, we got news that Byron Allen has also made an offer. He's offered $14 billion for Paramount Global. And it's interesting here because Byron Allen has has very quickly become a mover and shaker. Uh, uh, and, and his name keeps cropping up. Uh, he's a longtime producer. I first found Barry, uh, Byron Allen. I, I first became aware of him way back in the day when he was hosting Real People. This is back in the mid-80s. Real People, for those of you who don't know, Real People was one of the first uh, video compilation uh, things. You know, like America's Funniest Home Videos type of thing. Real People was a compilation of feature stories about people across the United States doing doing extraordinary things, doing doing things that were noteworthy, newsworthy. You had that. You had That's Incredible, which was the other TV show that was on at the time. These were these are the ones. And Byron Allen was a host on Real People. He was a co-host. He was five five different hosts on that show. And he quickly parlayed that success into producing and directing. And now he's he's a huge media mogul, I guess you could say. And he's offered. $14 billion. Now, Allen Entertainment, which is his company, also owns Weather Channel, uh, t- various different TV stations. I think he's, inve- I, th- I want to say he's an investor in BET, but I'm not sure. I don't know that for certain. <sighs> the, ep- the episode when he went to a tanning booth. I don't remember that one. Um,. Uh, RV says the Chinese do know a thing or two about dragons. Well, you know, I, if if I I honestly, <laughs> excuse me, honestly, I don't know if uh, if Tencent owning D and D is going to is going to make things any better. I really don't. But all right, so Byron Allen making a play for Paramount. Media moguls made a $14.3 billion offer to buy out uh, buy all outstanding shares in Paramount Global, according to a statement from Allen's company. The deal would also see Allen Media Group assume Paramount's roughly $15 billion debt load, valuing the shares at about a 50% premium to their recent trading prices. So he's basically saying, I'll give you $14.3 billion and I'll cover the $15 billion debt that you have. <clears throat> So that's almost $30 billion that Byron Allen is sitting there going, hey, let me have your company. I'll buy that for $30 billion. Statement, Mr. Byron Allen did submit a bid on behalf of Allen Media Group and its strategic partners to purchase all of Paramount Global's outstanding shares. Uh, This is a statement from Allen's company. We believe this $30 billion offer, which includes debt and equity, is the best solution for all of the Paramount Global shareholders, and the bid should be taken seriously and pursued. Uh, Allen's AMG owns the Weather Channel, a number of local TV stations, the Grio, I don't know what that is, and a syndicated TV content business, among other ventures. Because he, he's not just a media mogul, he's, he's an actual producer of shows. Uh, began his career in Hollywood as a stand-up comedian. 
He was discovered, by the way, he was discovered by Jimmy Walker. Now, if that's not a name you haven't heard in a while, Jimmy Walker played J.J. on the, on the, uh, the Norman Lear TV show uh, Good Times. Dynamite, J.J. Walker, uh, Jimmy Walker played J.J. He discovered Byron Allen doing stand-up. Uh, it's not clear whose Allen's strategic partners are in the offer or if there are any contingencies. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how much uh, Paramount takes this seriously because right now, okay, so we've got two, two offers on the table for Paramount Global, uh, uh, Skydance and Allen Media Group. So, how you doing, Mrs. Voss? You doing all right over there? Yeah, you're fine? Okay. All right. Did you say hi to Tucker? Yeah, he got halfway in the house. He got halfway. He'll stick his nose in. He's like, nah, maybe not. paws and everything. Yeah. He likes Kenny. Yeah, he does. He does like Junior Office Dog. Here's another thing back on the gaming front. We have apparently... A Witcher remake coming. And I don't know about this. Everybody's going to have an opinion. Here's a headline in Game Rant. The Witcher remake will remove parts that are bad. <laughs> um, okay, so this is... Who is this? This is Christian Miller uh, reporting today. The Witcher remake will be taking an honest look at the original game from 2007 and will improve on the features that feel outdated, bad, and unnecessarily convoluted. When it was originally announced in October 2022, the Witcher fans were excited about getting a more modern take on the cult classic. Modern take. On the cult classic that started CG Project Red's rise to prominence. Though Eurojank has its charms, and there is there's a lot to appreciate about the Witcher, even the enhanced edition started to show its technical limitations well before 2024. While the teams at CD Projekt Red are busy developing the next entry in the Witcher franchise, as well as creating the sequel to Cyberpunk 2027, the Witcher remake is led by Fool's Theory, a studio of CD Projekt Red veterans. Its CEO, Jacob Rockos, worked on the final two games in Geralt's trilogy, and expressed regret that he never got to work on the first one. While Rocco's hopes to give The Witcher remake the respect it deserves, it's also an opportunity for him to complete his portfolio in The Witcher saga. As reported on Games Radar via, via an interview with Edge, Jacob Rocco's claimed that the developers would evaluate all aspects of the original Witcher and strongly implied that not every feature would make the cut. While it's easy to assume that the problematic sex cards obtained from Geralt's romantic escapades would undoubtedly end up on the cutting room floor, the timing-based combat from The Witcher is also something that fans are hoping gets modernized in the remake. So, um, okay. <sighs> you're, uh, so you're going to get a remake of the game, but it's not exactly going to be a remake of the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It looks like every it looks like everybody in the chat is just like no, no, no. Sorry, no. Uh, it 
is that is that an is that an EI or is, it's EI Apo EI EIPPO that's that's a that's a new one in the chat too welcome uh, modern times audiences found it fits is it Ipo Epo I want to make sure I get that right uh, Weatherman says I only want a faithful to the content of The Witcher yeah I see that's the thing is these people that are in charge sometimes they they kind of don't understand what it is they got their hands on. But then there are times when things just kind of, you know, the stars align and you get something that you weren't expecting and you look at it and you go, why haven't I had this before? So ladies and gentlemen, let me let me direct your attention to the screen here where we're getting a DLC in Minecraft that gives us Godzilla. Minecraft Godzilla is a thing. The official trailer is out and it gives us uh, a Godzilla and related monsters in Minecraft. So there you go. Do with that what you will. But we now have we now have Minecraft Godzilla, folks. <laughs> it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, for a Minecraft design, this oh, this all looks pretty good. I don't play Minecraft, but uh yeah. <laughs> Mine Minecraft Godzilla. <coughs> so I Ipo is it is that did I it was was that the second pronunciation I got Ipo okay now here's an interesting twist because we were talking about games here is something that came out here uh, a couple of days ago and some people have been talking about it clownfish uh, discussed it and I'm I'm sure that other people are talking about it are you are you familiar? With the name Brianna Wu. Now, those of you who have been around since the days of Gamergate, you will remember the name Brianna Wu. For those of you who were paying attention a few years ago, you will know that Brianna Wu also ran for the House of Representatives. <coughs> Gojira says, sadly, yes, gross, also hi. Hi, hi, Gojira. Um, greetings, one-man show. Good to have you as well. So Brianna Wu, along with Anita Sarkeesian, Zoe Quinn, they were kind of the trifecta of troublemakers. The cancel cult that came out of the Gamergate debacle. The, 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 the hijacking of that, where you know gamers were sitting there going, "Look, if you're going to be reporting on a game, you should also disclose that you have financial skin in the game. You you invested in the game," and it very quickly devolved into you know from a discussion about ethics in journalism for gaming to terrible, terrible, terrible stuff. Kaylee, we don't need we don't need to give them we don't need to give them those 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 links. No, 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 no. Take those out. I don't, I'm not giving them any more air than I need to. Jumping the gun there, son. So Brianna Wu comes out two days ago, 
with this long diatribe over on on uh, Twixer. And I swear between her and John Fetterman, there's got to be something in the water. Because I've also seen Gail Simone doing a 180 on this stuff here in the last few last week or so. So this is Brianna Wu taking to Twixer and says the following, and I'm quoting. I, re I read verbatim. I don't think I'm the only progressive with a ton of resentment built up over a decade at the fringe online left. It's such a cancerous set of tactics, waves of anonymous accounts acting like cops, morally loaded language out of proportion to any issue at hand, taking statements out of context and twisting them in dishonest ways for a dunk. An inability to provide credible sources for extraordinary claims. A total disdain for nuance. And always, always, always a ravenous appetite to hurt people on our own side. I'm sorry. Excuse me? Are you describing yourself here, Brianna? Because you're talking about your side here. <clears throat> Continuing. And the reputation of progressives has been destroyed accordingly. We're deeply unpopular in the party. We're seen as harassing a-holes online, the way we used to critique gamers for behaving, by the way. The culture on Twitch and YouTube is constantly documenting the hypocrisy and insanity, and it's well-deserved. A decade ago... When we were more associated with policies like Medicare for All, there was a window for us to become the next evolution of the party, and it was utterly squandered. I'll always be a progressive because I think the policies are the right ones, but it's time to admit that online progressives are too destructive to ever be a meaningful political force in America, except in the sense we are driving normal people into the arms of the right. Hallelujah, Brianna Wu has seen the light. And how long did that take? Now, how many of you believe that this is genuine? Right? Yeah, Gojira says, someone hand Wu a mirror. I, I know, right? This is this is this is nuts. Uh, now again, remember, my bingo card is but of course. We're still in January. And we're only in January. By the way, did you see Fetterman's wife left him? She's nowhere to be found. No, she scrubbed herself off of social media. I heard she left him. That's what they're saying, but everything else I am seeing is that she has scrubbed herself off of social media because she is tired of it. But apparently she's not making the rounds in the halls of Congress anymore like she used to. The, the, the rumor is that she's left him since he started to sound a little bit more sane. But I digress. This is the kind of thing, though, because, you know, uh, like I said, Gail Simone did the same kind of thing. Are we the bad guys? Are we the bad guys here? Are we? Yes, you are, and you have been. You have destroyed 
all sorts of credibility that your side might have possibly had at one point by going crazy. Now, call me a cynic. Call me a cynic. Call me a pessimist. Call me the grumpy old man curmudgeon that I am. But this feels tactical. Brianna Wu has not been relevant since running for office. And even then, not very relevant running for office. Tried to, tried to ride the coattails of the Gamergate stuff in order to get elected to the House of Representatives. Did not get elected. And now... He wants to backtrack and do a 180. And yes, I said he. Wants to backtrack and do a 180 and sit there and go, are we the bad guys? Did we maybe kind of maybe take it a little bit too far? It reminds me of that meme. There's somebody who's throwing throwing a bunch of bunch of manure over the fence. And it gets thrown back at her. And she's like, harassment. This is This is the kind of thing it is. Although... I will allow for the possibility, it's a very, 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 very tiny possibility, that Brianna Wu is sincere and is realizing just how far the movement has gone and just how destructive it has become. Not just online. Everywhere. This movement, this destructive movement has infected all of our entertainment, has infected our news media, our politics are are corrupted because of it. Everything. And I will point out again that Brianna's, Brianna's side has the bigger body count. Literally. Because it was Zoe Quinn's ex who self, self-assumed room temperature because of all of this. Because of the brigading and the, and, and the, and the dunking on, on everything. It's a little like, I'll take it. And our side, if you want to say that there are sides... The reasonable, rational side should accept this for what it is. And okay, I sure, I'm not going to trust it. Why? Why? Oh, I'm not going to trust this. I don't believe that Brianna Wu is being sincere here. But there is an opportunity. Because then you can turn around and you say, look, even Brianna Wu knows that you guys went too far. This is something that can be used to bolster the argument that has been made on a number of occasions that these people, this group of people, has done harm, has done damage. Whether it can be fixed or not, that's a different question. But... You at least now have 
an acknowledgement that this kind of thing actually happened. Now, of course, as soon as this comes out, you know, Wu's backpedaling a little bit. But this is here. This is out there. And it's, and, and it's, it's, the internet doesn't forget. And I'm sure there will be screenshots of this and all sorts of things where people will sit there and go, hey, Brianna, remember when you admitted that your side was, was, was the bad guys? Here it is if, if you need to, to, to refresh your memory. Because this is the kind of thing, and, and there needs to be a healthy dialogue both of the ways. There needs to be back and forth. There needs to be an acknowledgement. Yes, there, mistakes were made. That's the first step. But it's not the only thing that needs to be done. If you're going to sit there and go, well, you know, maybe we kind of screwed up, then you need to make every effort to try to fix things. Either that or get out of the way for those people who will fix it, who can fix it. Brianna Wu is damaged goods. Anita Sarkeesian damaged goods. And they realize it because you look at like um, yeah, Kathy Griffin. She's begging for people to buy tickets to her shows. Because once you go full-on crazy, once you go full-on fanatic, once you go full-on extremist, activist, whatever, it's very hard to dial that back. It's very hard to recover from that. Because enough people will sit there and go, you know what? I don't need you. I don't, I don't have any interest in what you're trying to sell. And when Kelly Sue DeConnick sits there and says, if you don't like my book, politics, don't buy my book, everybody goes, okay, your terms have accepted. And that's the kind of thing that happens everywhere else. And the cancel cult is realizing this might have been a good idea. We got an article in Film Threat here from a few uh, a few days ago that, that it's anonymous, <clears throat> but it's a screenwriter. It's an open letter from, from a white writer to the film and TV business. And this is a, an anonymous uh, article, uh, Veteran Screenwriters Plot Twist on Hollywood's DEI Cultural Shift. So this is part of that same problem, the whole culture culture mentality where... You know, we've got to do uh, all of this stuff for equity, right? <clears throat> it's not about talent. It's not about skill. It's not about merit. It's about immutable, uh, immutable factors that you can't do anything about. <clears throat> and that's, that's done as much damage to the industry, fill-in-the-blank industry, as cancel culture or, or anything else has done. Uh, so this is from January 15th. For the last 20 years, I've been a working professional screenwriter. Between 2004 and 2018, I was sent on hundreds of meetings with some of the best studio executives, producers, and directors in the business. I loved it. It was an opportunity to chat with like-minded people who love film, grew up with movies, and were making them at the highest level. We'd discuss ideas, plot characters, 
and their arcs and who's the audience. Maybe chat about subtext and themes. It felt like an episode of John Favreau's Dinner for Five. Sometimes you would end up getting work. Other times you made a great connection. Everyone was intelligent, film and TV savvy, and had a deep understanding of the business side of the industry. In 2019, things started to change and quickly. So here's a screenshot from the Writers Guild of America Prospective Writer Search Form. Suddenly, subtext and themes became the main point of discussing a project or IP. The first question in every meeting became, what can we say with this project? Remember what we talked about with message fiction, right? What can we teach people with this story? Plot, character, and audience were now secondary and sometimes not even discussed. So here's this is the this is a screenshot of the prospective writer search form in the writer's background. You have uh, right here from the get, the get go sexual identity, and here is a whole kit and caboodle list of all of the different LGB categories, the alphabet soup categories. And then over here by itself, heterosexual. These new execs weren't savvy and business-minded execs. They were young with no track record or comprehension of the bottom line. So again, we're going back to this, this, this topic that we've talked about before. You see it in the comic book industry, too. you got these 20-something up-and-comers becoming editors with no experience whatsoever other than I can make a milkshake. And this is, this is the demise of entire industries because you, could, you put people in charge who have not enough life experience, work experience to actually know how to run things. When the streaming wars started and the money hose was turned on, those experienced executives started relying on these young guns to pick up the slack. But the kids were less focused on the hero's journey and more concerned with taking down the patriarchy. Which leads us to the next point. The reality is that for the past five years, white, straight male writers and directors with experience and successful track records have been sidelined. We talk about it over coffee or after screenings. We've essentially been told that because of our race and gender, we need not apply. That sounds like discrimination to me. At one point, my agent told me that they couldn't put me up for any open writing assignments or TV staffing jobs because the execs only wanted to hear takes on the material from BIPOC or female or LGBTQ writers. That's discrimination. Remember, Mark Cuban is getting raked over the coals over this, and even over on Twixer, got a response from somebody who is is part of the uh, the EEOC saying, "Hey, Mark, what you're describing as your employment policy might be a violation of federal law." Just saying, and this is the exact same kind of thing what he's talking about here in this article about how how the Hollywood writers have been done. Some shows even started instituting staffing quotas that 40 to 50% of the writing staff had to be people of color. Also illegal. All right, part two. (coughs) 
Is this two? Yeah, this is two. I know many showrunners who hate this, not because they didn't want to hire new writers and foster them. They didn't want half their staff coming from a pool of young, inexperienced writers who knew nothing about working in a writer's room, production, post, or deadlines. Is this illegal? Probably, but hey, I'm not an attorney. Then there's no way to find out anyway, because if you ask any questions about this, you'll be labeled a racist or called out for your white male privilege. If you so much as raise an eyebrow, there's a risk. You'll never work again. That's why this is this article is anonymous. This may not be obvious at first glance. There sure seem to be a lot of white dudes at the Golden Globes, right? Well, this doesn't impact the top 2% of writers, showrunners, and directors since they're in the rarefied air where they get work no matter what. And this goes back to what Cameron Pasha was predicting about the Writers Guild deal with the minimum writers count in the room leading to you're going to hire the people who have been there, who have been writing, and you're not going to hire any little people, any inexperienced people, any new people. So there's going to be a whole lot of people that are writers who are going to be out of work. And this is exactly the kind of thing what they're talking about here. We're only going to get the people who've got a track record. I'm not going to take any risk on anybody that I don't know. And so the, the potential work pool, the potential uh, talent pool for writers now shrinks because of this stupid deal. And, and the young bucks who have been out there on the protest line, on the picket line, and they're trying to get this deal, da, 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 they're now realizing what this deal actually means. It means the people who have been getting work will still get work. And they're the only ones that will get work because they'll get hired as as senior writers, staff writers, showrunners, uh, 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 chief head writer, whatever, whatever, whatever thing they want to do. But it'll be in a writer producer position, which means because you have you have certain requirements for writer producers, showrunner types. And if I can fill three showrunner writer producers, I don't need any other writers because now I got all my three required writers. Which means little guy goes home. Empty handed and hungry. No institution reinforces this more than the WGA. One glance at their monthly calendar of events shows a Latinx Writers Committee meeting, an LGBTQ plus Writers Committee meeting, a Committee of Black Writers meeting, a Middle Eastern Writers Committee meeting, a Women's Writers Committee meeting, and an Asian American Writers Committee meeting, just to name a few. And here's, you know, some other stuff on the writer's search thing. You know, gender identity, disability. How, uh, what? Where's your? Where's the? Where's the part of the form that's asking for your CV, your resume? Can you imagine if there was a white writers committee meeting? We might be murdered. And the saddest part of all this is that most people who would fill that room are some of the most liberal people I know. People who've gone out of their way to foster new and unique voices. Check out the WGA's own 2022 Inclusion and Equity Report and make your own conclusion on the WGA's priorities on this. When creating a writer's profile on the WGA website, there is one box to check if you're heterosexual, three choices under transgendered, and six under LGBTQ. Not sure what those statistics have to do with writing a great episode of The, Watcher, uh, the Witcher. 
So this guy's talking about, you know, the, the, the whole thing with DEI is destroying the talent pool, is destroying the potential to get people who have talent and have skill, but just because they're white, we don't want you. I don't know if I sent this message or this uh, article. It was an opinion article on how DEI is going to cause more plane crashes. And because, you know, they've got these hiring practices now within some of the major airlines where they have to check off the boxes first. Yeah, yeah. So they bring up, okay, let us explain it like this for all of you in the back sleeping. Mm-hmm. They need 100 pilots. And they hire 75 tall pilots and 25 short pilots, you know. And to, to be able to be a pilot for this, they have, you know, high standards. However, when DEI steps in, all of a sudden they're like, no, there's not enough short pilots. So they need to do 50-50 <laughs> on this. So now you've taken away 25 very qualified tall pilots so that... You can get 25 lesser qualified short pilots to make that 50-50 split. Is this is that actually a real thing? Is, they're actually looking at height, or is this a... a, a uh, that was... They were dumbing it down for the okay, people who are asleep you, in the background. I got you. I got you. Okay. But, that makes more sense. Yeah. But no, but it, d- it does come down, because all of a sudden you're taking away a percentage of qualified people to put in a percentage of lesser qualified people yeah. to fill up the bl- extra space. Yeah. And, but and it's that's interesting in that the headline for that article is yes, DEI will have more plane crashes or, you know, because they've been all the stuff that's going on with the planes. But yeah. anyway, okay. Well, and, and like Matuin points out here, you've got Dr. Who doing that kind of thing where DEI uh, s- uh, story writing just becomes part and parcel, and and the message becomes uh, the big thing. Now you know it. This kind of thing too. You like to say, you you call this out, you question this, and the cancel cult comes after you. Or, on the other side of it, let's say you're a successful writer. Let's say that you're 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 successful. You got a track record, but you're a white male. And we got to do something to take you out, let's say. Because you're white, because you're you're male, because you're successful, and we're jealous. Well, remember what happened to Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick got accused by Chloe Dykstra of stuff. Did he do it? Don't know. I, you know, it all kind of came out in the wash, and and I think I think what everybody kind of finally came to the conclusion of was there was not not as much to it as 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 she wanted to make it out to be. You know, remember Me Too movement, right? And it was funny because I started seeing promos for this new show after midnight. I thought, wait a minute, because some of the promos, I was starting to see stuff. I was like, that looks like Hardwick's old show. Hardwick, of course, had Midnight. But Chris Hardwick is back after I don't know how long. And he's at Disney. And he's doing a show. It's a vintage tour show. 
uh, up for auction. He will uh, he will be hosting this new series, uh, looking at Disney memorabilia that's going to auction. Uh, the show will feature items such as a vintage Dumbo ride car and a model showing the development plans for Tomorrowland attractions. Hey, you remember when Epcot was supposed to be the city of tomorrow? Uh, other notable pieces to be featured, including original Peter Pan ride vehicle, a haunted mansion, hand-stretching portrait. and Great. He's He's been doing something. Yeah, I, I know he's had his podcast. But Chris Hardwick has been out of the limelight, out of the spotlight for, for ever since that that dust up with Chloe Dykstra, and sure he could pro he's probably you know let the dust settle, let's let things calm down. Um, but I find it interesting that he's that he's doing this kind of thing now. He is a collector himself, so this is probably a good opportunity for him. But it's also you know let's. Let's rebuild some things. Hardwick's got an opportunity here to rebuild his brand. But he's not hosting the the show that's kind of the legacy of his old show, which I find interesting. It's being hosted by a girl. I think, if that's, if that's the same one. I don't know. So anyway, so there's that. Uh, Road Vagabond Life says, It's unfair that I can't be a horse jockey because I'm six foot three. Who do I sue? <laughs> uh, you want to put a bid on Walt? Uh, well, you know, uh, I think, doesn't he have, uh, doesn't he have his, his cryogenic chamber somewhere? Maybe you can. I don't know. Uh, Mazer says, Did Marisa appear yet? Still to come. She is coming in the second hour, so five, five minutes from now. Um, Matt Twain says, revisiting some of his old Nerdist, uh, what's the other one, Idiot episodes? See, that was back in the day when we were all young and innocent. We didn't know any better. Right? <coughs> now, along those lines, there's some concern that's been raised because Peach Momoko apparently has a new X-Men project. And some people are like, eh? Now, Peach Momoko has a, has a pretty good track record, pretty solid track record as a writer and artist over at Marvel. So, with that being said, uh, she's got a new project, Ultimate X-Men. And in interviews, she has said that she's going to draw from her experiences in junior high and high school with some of this stuff. And some people are like, oh, is she going to go the self-insert route like everybody else has done? Um, but I think you, I mean, you you pro, you could, but if you're going to draw from experience, you know, stuff that you've experienced and and stuff that you've seen, a lot of that, a lot of that is kind of universal, really. I mean, we all kind of go through that stuff in junior high and high school, right? The awkward phase, the popularity. The clicks. So let it, before anybody starts making assumptions, let's see, uh, let's see what it is that she does with it. Because you know, like even even the guys over at Bounding into Comics have acknowledged that she's got a, a pretty solid track record at Marvel. Let's wait and see what she does. And I was like, well, you know, if Bounding the Comics isn't isn't jumping off the cliff about it, I, maybe maybe. Maybe they're growing up a little bit over there. I don't know. 
<clears throat> anyway, okay, so uh, here's what are we going to do. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. Marisa Wolf is in the green room. So we will take a, a take take a little bit here and get set up. And when we come back, we will be talking about her new book that's coming out next week. So uh, so be ready for that. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. Live from the bunker. We'll be right back on Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here, taking a moment to say thank you for listening to the podcast on your player of choice and to invite you to watch the program as it unfolds live on our various video platforms. Not only will you get to see any visual references we have, but you also have a chance to interact with us through the chat widget and during the open line hour when you can call in and be a part of the show. Join us live from the bunker Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern U.S. only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. You're listening to the Sci-Fi for Me Radio Network. It helps to turn on the button so you guys can hear what's going on here. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker, and it is time to have a conversation. Oh, there's vocals there. I keep forgetting that one's got vocals on that. I got to turn that one off. All right, here we go. All right, joining us now, Marisa Wolf. She is an author. Uh, general raconteur, <laughs> and I gotta say, Marisa, you're you're not wearing you're not wearing the uh, the 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 top hat, the the biker hat that I've seen in some different photographs from. I do enjoy that hat. Uh, no, but I you know my hair is freshly done, so you know. <laughs> All right. So welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. Uh, Marisa's got a new book that's coming out on Tuesday, Beyond Enemies is the name of it it is uh the beginning of a franchise a series is this the first of many or just a one shot (laughs) it's a one shot um do i have ideas for a sequel sure um but you know people the people will have to demand it so but it is a it is a whole book in and of itself so let me ask this because i've seen debut novel uh, I know it's the first full-length novel that Bayon is publishing. Mm-hmm. Is this your first full-length novel ever? I mean, is this your debut novel? Because I know you've done a number of short stories and, and anthology yeah. stuff. It's my debut solo novel. So okay. I have co-authored six novels with three amazing co-authors. Um, but this is my first just... Oh, that's all my face. Um, this is my first <laughs> Just Me um, book. So, okay. So, it's, so the the Reader's Digest description of this book is what? Because there's AI in it. There's battle tanks. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the at the cover. This is very very impressive artwork. Oh my um, goodness! So Sam Sam Kennedy is the artist. He is a genius. Um, so I am obsessed with the cover and the noise I made when I first got the cover could only be heard by my dogs and they did not appreciate it. Um, but <laughs> it was, it was is it, full joy. Is it like, uh, is it like the uh, night of fireworks or when the football team wins and, and all of the fireworks go off and, and the dog. Yeah, it was like surprise dolphin. Like, ah. So it was like very high pitched. They were like, why, why, why is this happening to us? We're so good. Uh, Jonathan, um, Jonathan says, I'm almost done reading beyond enemies. I'm really enjoying it. A very unique take on AI. So, uh, so right. you've got, a, you've got a fan in the, in the, in the chat. So. 
Jonathan, I'm so excited you're enjoying it. That, oof, that, I'm so excited. Um, yeah, so the Reader's Digest version is, it is the age-old tale of a girl and her tank. Um, you know, it's, it's a classic for a reason. Like you do. Um, yes, you do. Um, and so the girl and her tank are out on a backwater posting. Um, they don't know why because they're very good at their jobs. Um, and then they find out the war that they've been fighting this whole time isn't at all the war they, they thought they were in. And they have to decide what, if anything, to do about that. So the AI component, as I understand it, your lead character, Breezy, um, which, yep. by the way, for anybody that was looking at the title card uh, for the thing, the thumbnail, yo, Breezy Burn, they were like, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's where Delightful. it goes. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> deciding to play with some words. So Breezy is the, is the lead character, Talon Rees, mm -hmm. and B, and, and I'm assuming that B is the tank. Yes. So and, B is the AI. Okay. And 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 these these people, these soldiers, mm -hmm. are genetically modified in order to be able to directly interface with the AI module in the in the tank in the equipment, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, so it's so basically the um, they developed AI humanity. Good job, humanity. Um, but it turns out it's really hard to teach artificial intelligence you know, kill these people, good, kill these people, bad. Right. So to solve <laughs> to solve that moral quandary, um, the AI programs are partially grown in genetically engineered human brains. So the humans are genetically engineered to host part of an AI program, and then the AI and the human are trained together to be um, modified soldiers, basically. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because it reminds me of this story um, from a few months ago mm -hmm. um, about uh, a simulation that the military was running with the AI. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was a situation where uh, the, the AI, the drone, it's a, it's, you know, we fire the missile or we don't. Mm -hmm. And the human component in this is the go or no go command do we actually do this thing, you know, fulfill the mission or not? Do you, is the mission a go or not? Yep. And the AI learned, <clears throat> evolved, uh -huh. and said, well, my, my mission is to fire this missile and destroy these people and kill these people. And so the first time it goes, just fine. Yes, you hit a go and, yep. and it fires and it goes, okay, okay, well, let's see what happens when you tell it not to fulfill its mission. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and and it had an aneurysm. It's like, uh, but I'm supposed to fulfill this mission, and you're uh -huh. you're trying to stop me from fulfilling the mission. So in the simulation, the enemy. he mm -hmm. turned it turned on the controller, yeah, and said, "I'm going to yeah. kill you first, and then." It, and so then they rejiggered the parameters and all this stuff, and it got mm -hmm. to the point where the AI was disconnecting the communications. From the so controller, it no. so it yeah. couldn't be told no. It can go and do the thing, and we're like, mm -hmm. um, "This is bad." <laughs> if this, if this had been a thing, and then there was another thing, and I can't remember what it was. I want to say there was Japanese AI mm. that was sitting there and actually saying it was kind of a, a, a robotics type of thing. Mm -hmm. No, no, we're not going to kill you. We don't. Yeah. We don't have any intention to do you harm. Don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Why would you think? Yeah. And now you've got this story that just came out here. I'm going to pop this up here. This is from PC Gamer. AI researchers oh, wow. find AI models learning their safety techniques, actively resisting training, and telling them, "I hate you." 
the mm. AI is mm. saying, hey, human, I hate you. I was like, oh, there's there's no cool, way cool, cool, cool. there's no way this ends well. Right? No, yeah, it can't, totally can't go bad for us. No, that's fine. So when when I'm seeing this story about uh, about integrating AI mm -hmm. and the and the humans, mm -hmm. you know, and we got Elon Musk out there with the first successful insertion the of neuro. the Neuralink chip. Uh huh. <laughs> like this, there's no way this ends well. <laughs> well, what? I mean, no spoilers, <laughs> um, but I will I will say so. B is the AI program. Um, and she does not have a high opinion of most humans. She likes hers. Um, and she likes the other, um, modified hosts. Um, but otherwise she refers to plain humans as empties because they don't have anything else going on. Mm -hmm. So by the way, you've got, uh, you've got some fans of the chat, Melissa, all, all tough in there saying team breezy for the win. Nick saying, I, uh, Nick Steverson. Okay. Saying hi, so uh, good, hey. to have, good to have all of you new people in the chat. Hopefully, you'll uh, you, you'll stick around uh, afterwards. So, so, yeah. so, what kind of research when you're talking about? Because you've got all sorts of news coverage nowadays yeah. of here's mm -hmm. all of this stuff that's going on with AI. What kind yep. of research did you do? Because especially now with this being military science fiction, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there are certain applications and certain ways that AI is incorporated into things. Where are you drawing from in terms of the, the kind of information that you can pull in for background material? Yeah. I mean, I watched Terminator a lot. Um, so that was, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I did do that, but I just, it's fun that when you start Googling things, Google will bring you the things. Sure. Sometimes the algorithm is so helpful. Um, so I read just a ton of articles, um, as much as I could from like the researcher's point of view. So there was the researcher who was sure that like the Google AI had become self-aware and like kind of fell in love with it. Yes. We and talked so I about read, the story. Yeah. Yeah. So I read like his whole account, like from his perspective. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. Um, and so I tried to read a lot about the people who are actually doing the work um, where I could and like their approaches and their motivations and what they were sharing about it. Um, and then Google brought me more things, which thank you, algorithm. I will be so nice to you that when the machine uprising comes, you won't kill me first. Yeah. Did, um, did, did Google give you the story that Sam Altman, who helped develop chat GPT, said, maybe this wasn't a good idea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was later. That was yeah. uh, the book was done at that point. But I did. <laughs> did read oh, by the one. way. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that and then there was a lot. There's um, some quantum entanglement shenanigans in there. Um, and so I read a lot about quantum entanglement um, and quantum mechanics. And my favorite was when Google delivered me an article that was maybe human consciousness is quantum entanglement. And so that was a very oh, fun, boy. like now maybe everything, maybe breathing is, we don't know. Um, so. There was a, there was a theory that was put forth. I want to say this was maybe back in the eighties because <clears throat> I was around in the 80s. Um, uh, let's it was not do time math. That's fine, yeah. <laughs> a theory called implicate reality. Oh, okay. And basically the, the notion was that the universe only exists as far as you perceive it. Mm -hmm. So that, okay, I'm, I'm looking here at my computer and my desk and my microphone and my coffee mug, and I'm looking here at the camera. This right here is real. Mm -hmm. Whereas, according to the implicate reality theory, 
anything that's upstairs or if it's behind me or if it's outside of my bubble of perception yeah. doesn't exist until I perceive it. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I was like, how, how do you get to that? I mean, that's kind of a flat earth theory of universe right there. Right. But, it, but it's along the same things. You know, this idea of quantum entanglement with the brain mm-hmm. where, you know, we're just highly evolved machines ourselves is yeah. has always been kind of an interesting notion in in science fiction. So, do you how do how do you play with that? Yeah. How do you use that? I mean Yeah, it's more the perception, I think. So, like what you think is your reality is your reality until it isn't. So, it's not quite the implicate yeah. theory, right? It's not like the civilians cease to exist when we're not with them, but it's more what I think is true for civilians and for me. Um, so yeah, it was, it's more the, I play with the perception. I, I keep joking that this book is just conspiracy <laughs> theories all the way down. So the only difference between a conspiracy theory and a conspiracy is about three weeks. Right. 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 Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Jonathan says, I really enjoyed the nickname scenes where Talon and B have to differentiate the other characters. So apparently mm. you guys are they're they're this one is red. This one is blue 32. <laughs> this yeah. one is, this one is the mean one. Yeah. Yep. So, well, you called breezy, right? So Talon, Riaz and B are, are breezy. So their combined like call sign basically is breezy. Um, and so there is a little bit of a running thing. I'm really glad you liked it, Jonathan. Uh, so without spoilers, there's a running thing in which they start designating some people based on these rules um, who get to also have somewhat insulting call signs. Now, the this this kind of behavior uh, in the military, we've seen we've seen this kind of thing before, you know, stuff like in aliens, for example, where, you Mm -hmm. know, they're all giving each other a hard time. And uh, a lot of times we'll get the stories where uh, the soldiers are, you know, really buttoned down or they're either they're either real intense and they really shouldn't be in uniform at all. Mm, or mm. they're incompetent. This is this is something that that the guys who have been wa- watching uh, the Walking Dead and and zombie stuff have constantly yeah. complained about. Yeah. Is how do you go through all of this scenario and have an incompetent military? It it just mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense from a story standpoint. No. But in reality, uh, military types, especially the grunts, the guys, you know, the boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. They're they're like what you see in aliens. There there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of back and forth. Everybody's giving each other the you know giving each other a hard time. You know they'll short sheet the bed for the new guy, and and that sort of thing. How did you did you do um, interviews? I guess you could say you know talking with people in the military, people who have been deployed, and and kind of get a, a sense of that mindset so you can really kind of lock this in with your with your characters. Yeah, it's such a good question. I have been incredibly lucky in that I have a crap ton of friends, um, many of whom are, I'm very close to, who are are or have been in the military um, and have been deployed. And it is from almost all the branches um, and from both officer and enlisted uh, points of view. So I, I mostly wrote my soldiers in a way that would make them proud and then made a couple of them read it. Um, and I was like, yes, no, <laughs> do they screw it up? Are we good? <laughs> um, so yeah, so this is a lot of like from hanging out with veterans and, and active duty folks and just realizing like, not realizing, I guess 
kind of always knew that like super serious soldier <laughs> is not real and also isn't fun like it's not fun to read it's not fun to deal with i mean every now and then i can be okay in a movie but yeah. i wanted them to be whole people um and some of the funniest people i know uh developed their finely honed dark humor in the military um and so i, I wanted to represent that also as well so i when i was in high school and college i worked at a, a short order or a restaurant you know hamburger place that was owned by a firefighter nice and one of the things that he said at one point is that it's it's very difficult to find anyone with a darker sense of humor than firefighters and police officers because it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, of course. It's, yeah. I mean, you see some horrific stuff as a first responder. Right. And this is this is a way for them to cope. And I imagine it's the same with the military. And yeah. in, in dealing with some of this stuff, by the way, uh, Melissa's uh, uh, giving you a hard time that you made them read it. Apparently, <laughs> I did. I totally did. So I bribed uh, them. Yeah, uh, Leah, Leah also in the chat saying hi. So hi. Uh, says Team Breezy Rocks. I love you guys. Thanks. How long did it take you to write this? Oh, good question. Um, so they're all good questions. I'll stop telling you that. Um, the <laughs> no, no, no. I, I feed the ego. You like it? Okay, great, ego. great. This is a really good I, one. I, um, I use it in commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. She's like Marisa said, "This is a good question." That's right. Um, so I wrote the short story um, that's in Chicks and Tank Tops uh, like two years ago, maybe three. I don't know how time works. Um, time is a flat circle, you guys. It's not real. So um, I wrote that story and then. Breezy just stayed in my brain. Like they refused to be quiet because things were happening after the short story. So it sort of bubbled in there um, for a good like eight, nine months. And then when I actually wrote the novel, I drafted it probably in four months. Then I had to deconstruct the entire middle and redo it. So probably total like six, seven months. But it also like marinated in my brain for almost a year. Now you're talking about having to redo the middle. There, mm -hmm. the, I saw I saw an interview where you're talking about how it I, you you basically had to completely take it apart and redo it. Is that right? What what he happened? Did. What happened there is that all of a sudden, oh, this certain thing doesn't work and the whole thing falls apart and oops. The whole thing, yeah. I, huh? So I am not by nature an outliner, and when you're you're writing with uh -huh. somebody else, um, outlines are super super important, and so. I, I had an outline. It wasn't a great outline, but it was an outline. And then I mostly followed it. But in the middle, I sort of veered off. And then I knew it wasn't working. Yeah. But instead of stopping and like backing back to the outline, I was like, more words. More words will fix it. <laughs> more words are not the answer. More words are never the answer. It was, it was like really tight beginning, giant mush middle, solid ending. I was yeah. like, well can't publish that. So I, um, I, I did a whole post-it note extravaganza. Um, so I wrote every chapter like number and then a brief summary of what happened on a post-it and I put them all out and then I started moving stuff around, crossing stuff out, figuring out what, what was duplicative, went back to my outline, super smart, um, and realized I had a clear thread. I just had to collapse some stuff and put some stuff together. Right. So, so by nature then, are you a pantser? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a last-minute deadline pantser, which is no way to write a novel. <laughs> so. oh, oh, okay. So uh, yeah. short story is due tomorrow. 
I'm going to start writing today. I should work it. Yeah, yeah. I should totally work on it today. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I've, I've 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 been there. Yeah. The the the, edit, the editing process too is is sometimes you know something that gets missed. You know, a lot of, a lot of people that don't know the process. Mm-hmm. You know, stories are built even even when you look at movies, for example, because there's been a lot of talk about Marsha Lucas fixing Star Wars of late. Yeah, editing, self editing, copy editing, having somebody else look at it, getting the feedback, and and you know your beta readers and that sort of thing. From first draft to finished published thing, mm-hmm. there there are a lot of steps there, and yes. th- there are I imagine some some kill your darlings moments in this thing. How how many of those did you have? Did you just oh I really I really want to keep this but I can't. Do you set those yeah. aside for for other stories then? Yeah. Yes. So there were there were two things that. I was really sad to cut and they were just conversations. It's just, it's just Talon and B being Talon and B and I love them so, 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 so much. Um, And so one was a whole conversation and one was a side adventure that was completely unnecessary um, on a planet where they like adopt a thief. Basically it was super unnecessary. And the more I wrote it, the more I was like, this is wildly off track. This is unhelpful to the entire story, but I just kept writing it. Um, I don't think anybody actually read it because I I knew as I was writing it, it was not going to be used. Um, So I ended up just taking it out. It lives in a folder that's just like, maybe this. Um, And that's a file that I just go back to every now and then and kind of read through and say like, oh, this will apply to this thing. Or, oh, I could use this over here. Or that was terrible and it should not even be in here and I should delete it and pretend it never happened. How different has this experience been from short story crafting? Because it's, oh, it's, you know, it's a lot more, it's a lot more involved. It's mm-hmm. longer, of course. Longer. Yeah. Um, but you also have uh, more opportunities for the structure to kind of, you know, either, either you have the structure in place mm-hmm. or like, like you experience, it kind of gets a little wonky. Wobbles. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, the longer it goes, you know, the more mm-hmm. story you have, the more opportunities you have to, to do that world building. Yeah. And there are writers who can organically put the world building in like Dave Weber does with mm-hmm. his Honor Harrington stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I I have lost count of how many times that, you know, you'll have this conversation going on between Honor Harrington and, and, and Michelle or whoever else. Mm-hmm. And here's... 10 paragraphs about the history of this <laughs> one know. thing. Yeah. And yeah. now we're back to the conversation because mm-hmm. it's background material, but it's done yeah. in a way that's from the perspective of the characters that are involved in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, you'll still get, you know, honor never thought that they did about that, about it. And you have all this thing. Those are really tough to do is yes. to get the world building into the story organically. How much of a challenge mm-hmm. is that for you? Yeah, man. So like one, I would love to take a minute to just be like, David Weber is a genius at that because it's always like also advances the character too. Because to your point, it's never like, well, as you know, Bob, when I go to like my tea year, whatever, it's it's organic to the character. It's done so well. Yep. So I, 
Usually for me, it's something I sometimes have to go back in and add because the characters are the most clear in my head. I know exactly who they are. I know so much about them. I know how they're going to react in different things, although sometimes they surprise me. It's the beauty of being a pantser. Um, and they just do what they want. But the the world building things, there would be times I would have to go back in and be like, hmm, this three-page digression on how AIs were developed is unhelpful. I should cut this down. This is really just for me. Nobody needs this. Um, and instead, I try to make it into like a paragraph or two paragraphs. So like there was kind of this long paragraph about how um, faster than light travel works uh, in the universe. And then it basically was like, yeah, no wonder everyone thinks they're so weird. Like that was the summary. <laughs> like all you need to know is they're super weird. There's a really good reason for it. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and so that I feel like I have an I have a knack for the like, haha, that's funny. Let's move on and forget that you just read this whole paragraph. But later when it matters, it was there. Um, I am not good at making like extensive chunks of exposition work. Um, and I think it's partially because I don't like them. Um, David Weber and Anne McCaffrey are two of the only people I can think of who have done lots of exposition in a way that I'm like, yes, tell me more. I need this a lot. <laughs> and I am not at that level of skill yet, so I don't get to do it. So I keep my, my little world building either through dialogue, through action, um, or small paragraphs that then there's usually a joke at the end. It's funny you should mention Anne McCaffrey. Uh, I, have, I have just recently finished rereading uh, the first two trilogies, the the Dragon the Dragonflight mm -hmm. trilogy, and then the mm -hmm. the Harper Hall trilogy, mm -hmm. and you're a big fan of Dragon Dawn, the the, the big thing. The, yes. the thing yes. where it, it it really leans into the science fiction aspect, mm -hmm. and that's a weird thing because when you read the Dragon Riders of Pern, mm -hmm. you hear dragons and you think yeah. fantasy. Yeah, but the very first page is mm. in the Sagittarian arm in the Rookbot system. There's this planet, and, <laughs> this Oort cloud. It's fine, yeah. And you're like, okay, but then <laughs> then the science fiction aspects of it don't enter into it until really it. until you know six or seven books in, mm -hmm. and it's interesting how that that evolves into mm -hmm. yes we ride dragons and everything's this you know caste system you've got the crafters and you got the 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 holders and you got the dragon people and, and all that and oh by the way we're an earth colony here's the spaceship oh, nice. and, yeah but that sense of discovering their history their past also is a good device that McCaffrey used to introduce and and explain how we got how we got where we are and yeah. i thought that was a really clever way of doing it and and our, it's it's there's a lesson to be learned there in the world building yeah. craft side of things because yes. it's not just these giant i mean yes she's got some paragraphs in there but it's not these giant exposition dumps mm -mm. Not until Ava starts talking anyway. I mean, but. yeah, then, then you get them. I'm still into it, though, because I'm hooked at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So it, when when you look at this stuff, when you're going back and you're rereading it and you're seeing these big chunks that you're thinking, oh, maybe I got to do some reworking. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it tough for you to not necessarily self-censor, self-edit, self-chop uh, and mutilate and... and you know, we really got to tear this thing apart and get back into it. So the place that I'm the most precious about what I've written is my dialogue. I love it. It is precious to me. 
I the snark and the banter and the chit chats those those matter so much to me. There were, it was like the one edit. It was I got so many thoughtful edits um, from both my beta readers and from uh, the Bain staff, and there was just one. But they're not wrong. It was slightly repetitive, but I was like, but 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 but. <laughs> This one line is super important later, so I'm just not going to cut the whole thing. Sorry, sorry, thank you so much. I'll take all your other edits, but I need I need this block of dialogue. Um, I think that's the only thing I really get precious about. Everything else, I'm like, oh, this isn't working. Get, get this out of here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to cut this up. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to reward stuff. But I, I do get very precious about my dialogue. I will acknowledge that. I will not change that behavior, but I will acknowledge it. How does it feel being over at Bain? Uh, I, I hear a lot of great stuff about Tony. You know, she's been on the program a few times. I've talked to other people. You know, that you know Tony's great. She's you know nominated for Hugo. <coughs> NBD, yeah, 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 and and all of that kerfuffle. But you know, she mm. she seems to really have a, a a straight head on her shoulders for how this works and how to make things go uh, in a successful direction. Yes. Uh, yeah. How much? How much input and involvement did she have in terms of of kind of helping to massage this story? Or do you have other people in the editorial staff? How many? How many? How many cooks are in this kitchen? A fair amount. Um, I have been. I will just say right out. I have been incredibly, ridiculously, amazingly lucky in my publishing journey. So I got my start with Chris Kennedy Publishing, which is a small indie uh, publishing group, and Chris is so supportive and so amazing and so wonderful. And I learned so much there and I continue to learn so much. So I was so, so lucky there. I continue to be lucky there. I continue to work with them. Um, and then Bain, I can't say enough good things about Bain. So Tony is phenomenal. Like one of the things I love the most about working with her is she is an incredibly insightful, brilliant business person. Um, and more importantly, she's a fan. So she loves science fiction and fantasy. She is a nerd. She went to conventions growing up, right? Like she is one of us. Um, and that shows in the way she talks about stories. She wants the stories to be entertaining. She wants the stories to be fun. I want that too. Um, and so being able to work with her is freaking dream come true. Um, I'm sending myself for this PG-13 audience. So I hope you all enjoy. <laughs> um, but it's amazing to work with her. And she has put together this really great staff. So um, everyone from the editor that I worked with to the copy editor to the production manager and the assistant production manager, I mean, just badasses the whole way through. Everyone is so good at their job, so focused on a good story, um, so helpful and supportive. So there are lots of cooks in the kitchen, um, but they're all focused on the same goal, and that makes it feel really, really good. Um, and as for Tony and this story, <laughs> she, she is why this story is here. So her and Jason Cordova, who is both an author and also, like, the little bit of everything guy at Bain, um, he does, I think he's now the office war monkey, I think is the term <laughs> uh, that he's going with. Um, but so Jason was the editor for Chicks and Tank Tops. Um, and when I sent him my story, he had really great thoughtful feedback that made it so much better. Um, and then he was just a huge champion of the story too. He really liked it. And he was like, Tony, isn't this such a great story? And Tony was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and so that was amazing. It's his fault that Breezy exists. So if you <laughs> like the book, hooray. And if you don't, Totally Jason's fault, not mine at all. <laughs> right. Sorry, my dog is chiming in. No, that's okay. Um, people have I, the nerve to be in their own yard. We can't have that. I, I have I have uh, one like that as well. Uh, junior <laughs> office dog likes to likes to <laughs> likes to sound very fierce, and she's not. Let everyone know. Yeah, she yeah. weighs forty pounds. She can't. She's not. 
She's not I, a how, she how much? Shape. How much? Mini uh, Penny's a miniature pincher. I think she came in at what fifteen pounds at the vet. Oh my goodness! The other day? Yeah. So cute. Fourteen point eight. Yeah, something like that. that. Are we I buffering? What happened here? Uh, oh, did we lose? Am I here? We, oh yeah, no, we're back. No, we're back. Yeah, okay. no, it okay. looked like it looked like OBS was disconnected from YouTube for just a second, but we're back. We're back. It was probably Olive. Olive said hey, and it ruined everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So Jason, it's Jason's fault, not mine at all. Um, I get credit though, right? Like I, no blame, but credit. Yeah. Um, so, but then Tony uh, was talking to me at a con about how much she had liked the story. Um, and I was like, oh man, like here are the things that I think happened afterwards. And she was like, hmm, hmm, how interesting. And I was like, yeah. And I'm really, you know, I love them and I don't know when I'll get back to them, but she's like, well, why don't you write me a chapter and an outline and uh, let's see if Bane wants it. And I was like, yes, yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> so she was a champion of the book early on. And when she got that first version, well, probably second version, but with the, the crappy middle. And she was so great. She's like, first of all, we love Breezy. Absolutely. The beginning, great. Middle needs work. You get a little too in their heads and we need to get out of their heads. Um, and she didn't give me like line by line edits. She just, she told me that. And I went back and I read it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. very correct. Um, and then I, I rebuilt it and I sent it back and it worked. Um, so it is as tight of a story. I mean, I say tight, it's still a big story. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Bane does anything else. I mean, <laughs> you know, you if it's, if it's not 300 words. pages, if it's not 600 pages, it's not a right. Bane book. Is it, why are we even here? Why right. are we even here? Now, yeah, how, so. how far do you have to be re removed from the, from the project, whether it's a short story or, or a novel? Mm -hmm before you go back in and reread it kind of fresh and 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 see where the problems might be or what changes might need to be because a lot of times you get into something and you're so into it mm -hmm. and you see it all the time mm -hmm. and you're in there and you're working it day after day after day you start to get blind to some of these things because yep. this one I've already dealt with this chapter is done it's over I'm focused on this how mm -hmm. long does it take you to kind of hit that reset button so when you go in and you read it you're you can see. It, you're actually seeing things that are that are that are there. Yeah. So as as mentioned with my short stories, it's like an hour because that's all I give myself. Um, preferably longer <laughs> if I have written like the next short story I have to uh, send in. I wrote three weeks before the deadline, so I actually have some space from it to go back in and fix it. So that's exciting. Uh, but usually it's. You've got time to go take a walk, Marisa, and then you got to read this and send it in. So um, with the novel, I sent it to my, I call them beta readers. They were really alpha readers because they got a version with brackets in a lot of places that said, like, figure out what goes here. Cool battle scene, question mark. Who will I kill? <laughs> Just in little brackets. <laughs> right. um, so... I gave myself a good solid three weeks after that, um, just kind of time to get away, let it fade, uh, maybe work on something else a little bit, not not too far because then my brain goes too far. Um, but a couple of weeks is ideal to breathe and get away. Now, when you do find problem spots, mm -hmm. how how do you approach fixing it? Is it completely tear it down and start from scratch? Or you've got to find, like you say, you found the through line. Yeah, there is there is a spine here. <laughs> now we just have to rebuild it. Or how how much do you have to start over in those in those circumstances? 
Yeah, also a very thoughtful question. Um, it it depends. It very much depends on what the issue is. So like if it's too much exposition, that's easy. I just figure out like what do they actually have to know? Can I feed this stuff in anywhere else? Fine. Um, if it's dialogue I have to change, also easy because I don't. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> I, listen, I listen to the editors. Um, and then some things like the middle, it, it took me days. Like it, it took me days to kind of redo it, think about it, move it around a little bit again. Um, and it, it definitely was one of those things that was in the back of my brain for a long time. Um, a long time being like four or five days. But um, the thing that helps me the most usually is to talk to somebody about what is wrong with it and what I think I need it to have. And my poor husband has been dragged in several times to like, okay, what do you think I should do? Blah, 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 blah. Never mind. I know. And then I leave. He has said no words. <laughs> he has only listened with this look on his face like, Hmm, this is what I signed up for, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I, I have I have conversations with my wife like that. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Boss who is is uh, frequently the not necessarily the target, but the recipient of a lot of of talk <laughs> talking it out to try to figure. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, mm -hmm. never mind. All right, I got it figured out. And I'm 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 done. I'm, yep. I'll be done. I have so, to go now. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So now, uh, just just for those of us who are here live, apparently YouTube keeps buffering, and I don't know why. So oh, it, we're still here, though. Everything's fine. And, Everything's fine. Uh, and we are recording this. So uh, at the very least, if YouTube craps out on us, go over to Odyssey or Rumble. We're over there, too. So uh, so anyway, I just, I just wanted to, you know, throw that out the stone martin weasels apparently are active today so <laughs> YouTube. well and that's the thing we we used to blame gremlins because sure. we you know we always have we always have technical issues here because yeah. it wouldn't be sci-fi for me tv without yes. some kind yeah, of technical something. thing yeah. some glitch so uh so i ran across this story about this little creature Mm -hmm. called a stone martin weasel they're they're out of wow. germany mm -hmm. and they have an affinity for electrical wiring mm -hmm. they like to chew on the electrical wiring and they especially like the electrical wiring in the engines of mercedes cars oh how nice it's spicy so yeah, like that it. that has become our go-to uh foil uh our our villain of the piece is the stone nice. martin weasel so uh, so apparently they are around today <clears throat> <laughs> Dang it! Uh, some science fiction talk creatures. You know, so, yeah, we get we get aliens. We get uh, uh, weird furry creatures that wander in the night. Uh, do you have any of that, or is it just all human population here in the cast? Ah, what a what is a it, good spoilery question. Is it spoilery? Um, it is spoilery. There, it is mostly humans and AIs. Mostly. Okay. You can't say you can't say anything beyond that, huh? Can't say nothing beyond beyond enemies. There are beyond enemies in there. I uh, I look at this artwork, and it's it's evocative of uh, Lieutenant Ilea in the first Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, she's she's yeah. you know got her head shaved and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, is that was that a uh, just an artist choice or is that a deliberate piece you did how much input did you have on the artwork um i didn't really uh so i loved this even more because it was not at all what i was expecting 
Um, so she does, this is, this is talent to me. So I would say in the book, they have, they have ports, the, um, the genetically engineered soldiers that host AIs, they have ports under their neck, it's a little bit matrixy, but it's like right, right under their ear there. Yeah. Um, and so they don't have like this huge panel thing because you could never pass for anything, but an AI soldier otherwise, but they also don't have hair. Um, they get, they get little bits of eyebrows and they get little bits of eyelashes. Everything else has been wiped clean from their bodies to make it it easy if you know anyone needs to get their very valuable brain um and that thousand yard stare that is it's all talent like it's just so perfect um so yes the bald the staring into the distance of like what the f did i sign up for um <laughs> all of that is spot on and amazing so did you have to fight to avoid the Borg or any kind of, because, you know, you have, you have these stories and, and, and science fiction, as much as we're able to tell all sorts of stories mm -hmm. at times, there are stories that come out that kind of feel a little bit like other stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because, you know, we're dealing with universal themes here. We're dealing with yes. things, you know, the AI uprising, you know, Skynet and, and whatnot. <clears throat> Right. Did did you was there ever a point in all of this where you're reading what you've written and you mm -hmm. look at it and you go, oh, no, that's the Terminator. I can't use that. I can't do that. <laughs> I, I, um, this all this piece has got to come out. I don't need Arnold in my book. Right. Yeah. It's not a Tuma. Um, I know a different movie, but yes, <laughs> um, sort of. That was more in the outlining. Like, so what's sort of interesting about this is this book came out of Chicks and Tank Tops. However, I had a similar idea years ago when I was just getting started as a published author. Um, the first LibertyCon I ever went to as a professional, um, LibertyCon does this amazing thing for their baby authors, um, and I was very much a baby author, um, where you can sign up for time with Bill Fawcett, who is a legend, right? He's a writer. He's an editor. He has done all of the things possible to do in publishing, and he knows sci-fi incredibly well. And so what a gift to be able to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Um, so we did that and I was telling him about the stuff I was doing. He's like, okay, great. So you're working in all of these shared universes. That's, that's very cool. And like, good, good job. What's yours. What are you going to do? And I was like, oh, oh, well, oh, here's this idea <laughs> that I've had. And it, it involved, it involved AI a little, but it involved um, humanity going out into space and, and not quite being ready for what they found there. Um, and he, I think, asked two questions and made one suggestion, and it changed everything. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited about this book. Um, and he was like, yeah, I think this will be pretty good. He's like, when you when you write it, let me know. And, you know, Bane would probably like it. And I was like, oh, my God, writing for Bane. <laughs> um, and so it just kind of sat because I, I had a bunch of other stuff to do, and I wasn't really ready for it, I think. Um, and then after I wrote the story in Chicks and Tank Tops, uh, I was like, oh that's that universe yeah oh and so i was able to bring it all together so it had been influenced by all kinds of things right like i've been a nerd my entire life my dad's a nerd i, I come by it very honestly i'm second gen um so i have been raised on the nerdery so the influences are all there but i i tried really hard from the outline point to not make it to anything else because it's, we already have that I don't need to rewrite Star Wars for you. We have Star Wars. Just that one trilogy. It's amazing. And I love it. Um, 
I'm, I'm sad we never got more, but the expanded universe books are also great. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how much of a leap was it to go from lifelong nerd fan to author? I mean, where, yeah. where, did, where did that bug get in your bonnet? So I wrote my first story. This is in some bio of mine out there. I wrote my first genre story when I was six years old. It was about mutant potatoes. Um, <laughs> I like carbs and I like magic. So here you go. Um, so um, that story got laminated, y'all. So obviously I was meant for this life. Um, you're going to reprint. But... You're going to reprint it in the special edition, right? Sarah and the Idaho potatoes. Yep. It was amazing. Um, it was not from Idaho. I had never been there anyway. Um, so I have always loved writing and we, we talked about Anne McCaffrey earlier and I read my first dragon writers book when I was 10, which is the perfect age to fall madly in love with something and make it like 90% of your personality. Um, and also around that age, um, a couple years after that, uh, AOL was a thing and the AOL oh, forums yeah. were a thing and fan fiction became a thing that I didn't know that I wanted to do. Um, and so I wrote Pern fan fiction with awesome other folks for 20 years. Um, and it was amazing and I love it. And I learned so much about writing. Um, and then one of the women that I had written with for a long time, Casey Azell, um, decided uh at one point i think i think it's when she was deployed she's like you know what? i've been writing for a long time i'm gonna make this like a real thing like i'm gonna get published um and she's the kind of person who when she sets her mind to something she does the thing and so by the time she came home from deployment she had been published um and she was doing more stuff and she's amazing uh, she is amazing you should buy all of her things casey is um she writes with bain she writes with ckp she's amazing um and she was like hey girl here's this short story I wrote. Do you like it? And of course I did. I was like, it's amazing. And here's, here's what I really liked. And this was really cool. And this worked incredibly well. And she's like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. So I'm going to write a novel. And do you want to do that with me? I was like, like a, like a real, like a real novel, like that other people will see who <laughs> not in like fan fiction, but like in the world. And she was like, oh, yep. And I was like, yep. <laughs> so it was, it was a progression of nerdery. Um, that got me there. And it's still like um, a friend of mine just sent me a picture today, like two hours ago, a picture of a box of my books that have just been delivered to Barnes and Noble. Nice. Um, and I, <laughs> the, like the amount of time that I spent in bookstores still will spend in bookstores. And like the fact that my book is going to be there with the little Bane rocket ship, like in bookstores, it's still, that part of the progression doesn't feel real. That yeah. part still feels like I'm, kinda, I'm making it up. Kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? Mm -hmm, very much, yeah. So I'm going to offer up a suggestion. Yeah. That some somewhere in the near future, mm -hmm. uh, there should be an anthology of short stories from Marisa Wolf, and <laughs> and the title of the anthology should be a progression of nerdery. And <laughs> I love it. The okay. first piece should, <laughs> should be, be mutant potatoes. Just to say, here's where we started, and then <laughs> your last, and here's here's the the latest I've written is the last one in the book, and you, you know you could be you know six, seven, eight, ten stories, and you know yeah. a progression of nerdery. There you go. Progression of nerdery done. I love this. I love this plan. <laughs> Melissa also in favor of the plan. Yes. 
Thank you. Mazer is asking, how does it feel to get a box of published printed books for the first time, opening the box and just picking one up? Uh, just a general question I sometimes ask an author. You're you're sitting yeah. there and and th- it's kind of it's kind of a surreal thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I cried. I mean, I can't pretend. I'm, I I was super cool about it, and I definitely didn't shriek, and I definitely didn't cry, um, but I did both of those things. Um, at the same time, it was super graceful. Um, we're really lucky that my husband likes and loves me because, whew, um, but it was it was now, crazy. the dog. It, however, the dogs the dogs had some feelings about my life choices in that moment. Um, it's actually the picture that I put on the on the internets of opening that box. Um, the noise I made was so strangled that my old dog, she's 16. She doesn't get up for everything anymore. Um, but she's like, I need to see what this is. What is going on over here with you? Yeah. You, This is, these noises are what? So it's a picture of her like looking in the box, like why? <laughs> but it feels, it feels amazing. Um, although I will tell you, so you were asking like, how much time do you need for distance? Um, I was just kind of flipping through and I was like, oh, that's here. <laughs> oh, that part is, <laughs> is in this section. Oh, okay. Oh, that. Okay. So apparently just a couple months and then you can forget everything. Now, how soon before you start hitting the bookstores and spontaneously secretly start signing some copies just at random, just for people to pick up and, Oh, Hey, this is a, this is a signed copy. I mean, it, it feels like as, as soon as I know that a bookstore has my book, I'm going to go there. <laughs> it's just be like, hello, <laughs> I will sign this. Anything else you want me to do? I can stock shelves while I'm here. What do you want? Let's go. Yeah. Um, what what kind of publicity have you been doing? Because you've been doing interviews. You've been doing stuff mm-hmm. online and you've been doing conversations like this. Are, mm-hmm. are you doing the, the press tour, the author tour, going to different bookstores and doing signings and, and such? I mean, we're in the we're in the post-pandemic dark times now. Time. So, right. you know. It's kind of everything kind of got disrupted there for a while, but yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to a lot of conventions this year, so I will be at conventions and more than happy to sign things. Um, the Barnes and Noble nearish me, just like I said, got a box of the books. So um, my friend who is the manager there, she's like, Hey, so you want to do any meet and greets? Yes. <laughs> so but I, I'm gonna, I'll work with Bain so I can have like cool stuff for that. Um, that just happened today. Uh, so Yes, it'll probably be mostly cons. And then um, I'm in Massachusetts these days, local bookstores and booksellers and libraries. And if you want me, I will. I will go wherever, unless it's snowing. Uh, okay, so you're in Massachusetts. The the the, the RVing, is that uh, now kind of just a thing that you do every now and again then? Have you landed, I guess? Yeah, so temporarily on pause, I can still, when I turn to my left, I can still see my RV. It is right there in the driveway. Um, so we lived in it full-time for three and a half years. Um, and then my husband like went and got a full-time job. So, you know, uh, we're going to be responsible again for a little while. Um, so we're in Massachusetts for now, uh, for the next couple of years probably. But we still have that RV, so, you know. Are we still are we still buffering? We're still buffering. Okay. Oh, we're man, getting- YouTube. Yeah, yeah. The algorithm, the algorithm sometimes uh, doesn't like us. <laughs> the AIs, man. The AIs. Well, and and you know, sometimes you got to wonder if if it's kind of a, a guilt by association type of thing because mm. you know uh, YouTube has a certain 
affinity for certain types of channels and it doesn't like other kinds of channels. It's kind of like the publishing industry, right? You, because, you know, um, you have, you have the group that goes with Tor, for example, and the Hugos and the Worldcon Mm -hmm. and, and that, Mm -hmm. that set of people with the, with the wooden asterisks and whatnot. And then you have the people that are, published it bane oh yeah and it's those people over at bane <laughs> and you know chris kennedy and bane and, uh. and palinelli and and his group over at uh, tuscany bay you know uh, sure it ha- i i'm sure you probably have not run into this and probably don't even have any concerns over this are there are there particular publishers that you look at kind of sideways and you go yeah maybe I don't want to publish with those people. I mean, Bane's a good home for, for you. I mean, it, awesome. I have yeah. not heard, I have not heard anything negative from the people who actually continue to work with Tony and the gang over there. I mean, yeah. e- even people who haven't been published in a while, yeah. uh, you know, Tony's got a really uh, solid reputation. She's um, awesome. You know, Bane's bar kerfuffled notwithstanding and right. and you know that whole thing was just stupid from the get-go but uh, how do you do you anticipate bane's your home for a while and i know you're still doing stuff with chris mm-hmm. um I mean, how, how does that work for you to be published in different different imprints do, are they fighting over your stuff yet Totally. No, no. Um, the, the thing that I love and when I say I have been like deliriously lucky in my publishing career, I have. So where, where I have landed for now, um, I get to work with the people doing the work and they know who I am and they know what my work is and they like it. And I, I think the, the problem as you get to bigger and bigger, bigger publishing houses is they are about the business. Of course they're about the business. Yeah. But they are about the business and everything else is later because of just the way they're structured. Where Bay and CKP, they're absolutely about the business. We're a capitalist society. It is about making money. Um, but it's also about a really good story. Yeah. And while I fully believe people at the, the giant publishing companies, individuals are that as a system, I'm, I'm not going to feel the level of like love and support and enthusiasm that I get at Bain and CKP. Um, and were that to ever change, cool. Yeah. I would totally explore other places. Um, but I've been very spoiled and I like it. So I'm going to stick with where, um, the people at the company know who I am, know I'm what my work is and know what I'm doing. And I love that. It, it keeps me on point, honestly. So, so what's the plan moving forward then beyond enemies comes out on Tuesday and then, and then what, what's, what's next beyond enemies, the sequel, or are we, are we opening up another universe somewhere? Yeah. So, I mean, if everyone goes and buys beyond enemies, I bet I might get to do a sequel. It won't be, I don't think it's going to be a big series. I think it's like, it's one book and then it could be two books, but I think more than that is probably not in the cards. Um, but uh, what, one of the big things that's next for me is um, we talked about David Weber earlier, and I get to write with him in the Honorverse. Really? Um, yeah. Nice. So, Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. He recently announced it. There's not like official stuff out there, but he announced it, so it's real. Um, so, uh, yeah, I get to uh, work on the Crown of Slaves uh, spinoff in the honor verse. Um, so, oh, okay. You know. So that's the stuff he was working on with Eric. Yeah. So those are some big shoes to fill there, young lady. 
Huge, huge shoes. Um, Not to put any extra pressure on you or anything, but you know. it's all the pressure. It's fine. Um, I love Eric Flint's work. I love David Weber's work. Um, And also they're both incredibly good people. So my, my goal is to, I'm going to pun for David. Um, my goal is to honor um, the, the footsteps that I am walking in and walking alongside. So, um, so yeah, I get to do that, which is the most incredible thing. And I started reading honor when I was 16, I was in high school and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and so talk about nerd heart explosions. <laughs> like it just, right. so well, and I and I, uh, I, Mindy gives me a hard time. She she enjoys watching me anticipate the next book, um, because you know, again, six thousand pages in these things, uh, and yeah. and I can go through them in you know a couple of days, just you know the whole thing. So yeah, and it's there's an opportunity whenever I find out when when I found out the latest one the the big the big one that kind of wraps up a lot of the of the stuff when that was coming out I thought okay I need to read everything so I reread yes. the uh-huh. whole series uh, including the sides the side stories mm-hmm. but I realized still that there's still some stuff out there that I don't have yet some anthologies oh. and some short story yeah. collections in that universe I'm like I need to catch up and yeah. and, and and it and it, it's it's a totally justified uh, uh, money expense expenditure thing that I've got to do. I, yes, I have, 100, yes, I'm a completist. 100%. Yes. yes. So, so are you doing, um, you're co-writing with David a novel or, or short, it is going to be, it's going to be the next Crown of Slaves novel then. Yep. Yep. And the timeline on this, I mean, let me, I mean, let me put it in my calendar. When is this coming yes. out? Is it, is it done yet? Why isn't it right, done yet? Right, I know, I know, TBD. Um, so I am currently rereading all the Crown of Slaves books, um, which, oh no, the worst homework. It's so know, difficult right? to me. Um, it's freaking amazing. Like, I'm like, oh, I have to, I have to go read now. It's my job. Um, and then it's such good, good words. So anyway, so I'm, I'm rereading all of those now. Um We'll have a, a good um, brainstorming slash note download session soon here. Um, so I think we're looking at the next like year or so to write it. Because um, David Weber is, go figure, very busy. He's got yes. lots of amazing projects. He's incredible. So he'll be doing that. Um, I'll be working on this. I will also be launching this year um, an urban fantasy spinoff of a shared universe uh, called Valkyries. So if you like, if you like the snark of Beyond Enemies... And you're like, if only there were magic, we got you. So we're going <laughs> to, we have Valkyries coming out this year. There's already three books done. Um, there'll be another three. Um, and like I said, it's part of the Hit World universe. And that will be another six to eight books. So plenty to read this year for folks. Have, have, have there, has there been any contemplation of uh, Marisa Wolf diving into a Robert Jordan type of series where you are going to craft 25 or 30 different novels and and you'll die before the last one is finished no uh, not not that i'm wanting that to happen <laughs> yeah, anytime, just wishing death on me I no just no got no here. not at all <laughs> not at all but but you get to those things i mean we talk about david david's even acknowledged at, at some point he's not going to be around and what do you do yeah. with that honor verse you look at what yeah. happened with jordan you know brandon sanderson mm-hmm. steps up yeah you've got um uh some authors who never complete a series, David Gerald, yeah, uh, sure. George I mean, R. R. Martin, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. This I'm still working on the book. No, yeah. you're not. You're you're I doing mean, something hey. else. You're yeah. working on your TV show there. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, how is it? Is it difficult to plan? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be working on these other things, mm-hmm. but this one's still sitting out there. I've got to go back and finish this. Is it? Yeah. Do you anticipate running into that at some point? I mean, you've promised Valkyries. Yeah. And you know, you're going to do one and you do another one. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly we're waiting on that third one yeah. for however long. Hopefully, hopefully there aren't any complications on any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, so the beauty of a shared world, and this is where I got my start, right? Um, was in the Four Horsemen universe with CKP. So it's a shared world. So even if one author can't do all of the things, other authors are going to be in that world continuing the story. Yeah. Um, but also, that's where I came up. Therefore, I know other people are relying on me to do the thing I said I was going to do. So I'm going to do the things I said I was going to do. Um, I, I also am one of us, right? So like I read the Jordan books. I read Brandon Sanderson. I, I, I know authors are not obligated to give readers the end of the story, but also I want the end of the story. And therefore, if I want it and it's something I'm writing, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess I have to write it so well, I can have it. Now, to flip that around, are you yeah. are you uh, contemplating the possibility of other writers playing in your sandbox? I mean, you're working in other shared universes Ooh. that other people have created. When, yeah. when, do, when do people get to play in, in your yard? I mean, I, I think when they have one expansive enough for people, I would love to. So Valkyries, Valkyries is a spinoff of the Hit World universe, mm-hmm. um, which has a series of books already. But I, I will be running Valkyries. So it's kind of like my little corner of a sandbox or like my own side sandbox in the playground. Um, so I, I already have of those novels, um, two of them are done already by other authors and they're so good. And I cannot wait for people to see them. So that's Melissa Oltoff, who's in this chat, yep. um, and Matt Navani. They both have entire novels done. Um, so I love, I love working with other authors. I think shared universes are so much fun. Um, and I've again been pretty lucky. Just everyone, knock on wood for me, please. Um, I've been so lucky with the just caliber and quality of people I get to work with. So. Well, we are looking forward to it. I, I got to look back and see and, and, and check and see if I have uh, if I have a copy of this. I think I have a, an e I don't see that I have one. I don't know. I don't know if I got a review. There may be one sitting in my mailbox. I haven't gone and checked the mailbox. There, check that. Um, so, yeah, I will, uh, I will look at this. Um, the, the book, Beyond Enemies, it is out on February 6th, which is Tuesday. So soon. Books always come out on Tuesday. Um, uh, which is when Wimpy will pay for your hamburger. <laughs> right? Take right? that money and go buy a book. So uh, Beyond Enemies is the book. You can find Marissa. Let me pull this up. MarissaWolf.net. MarissaWolf.net. I want to make sure I get that right. MarissaWolf.net. Beyond Enemies uh, over at Bain. You can get the uh, e-arc, the the, the e-book version of it already. Uh, Marissa is also on Twitter and on (laughs) Facebook. And mm-hmm. at some point, we'll probably do something again with her YouTube channel because yes, there's nothing on the YouTube channel. <laughs> Definitely going to happen. Uh-huh. 
So we'll have all of these links in the notes for people to go explore and and connect. And uh, Marisa, are you on any of the other socials? I am on Instagram. So Instagram. at it's at book dogs because you get my books and you get my dogs. So and 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 Marisa Wolf was already taken. I understand is it is was part yeah. Of the story so there. yeah. there's like three of us, but they all got to Instagram before me. So all right, all right. Marisa, thanks very much. Good luck with the book. And uh, this was fun. Well, we'll definitely have to uh, catch up again when um, when the uh, next Honorverse, the Crown of Slaves book comes out. <laughs> yes, that would be delightful. And in between, in between now and then, I'm sure yeah. we could have have conversations about other things as well. So, uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely plan for that. And those of you who are uh, sticking around for Open Line Hour, stay tuned. We will be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. Let me hit a button, hit a button, hit a button. All right. Yay. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Sci-Fi for Me Radio. It's better than Goofy Golf. So um, (laughs) it's funny that you should ask that. It's a great question. That is an awesome question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for Me to be there asking all of the questions. It's a good question. It's a great question. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. I don't think I answered any of your questions. I'm bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. You're listening to Sci-Fi for Me Radio. All right, we are back live from the bunker. Hour number three. This is the open line hour when uh, when you get to uh, take over a little bit and dial in. Welcome back, everybody. A couple of other things here. We talk about you know shared universes and writing and rewriting and, and that sort of thing. We've got this story here about the Alien series that's been setting up over at FX. And apparently it's rewriting uh, it's rewriting canon uh, after Prometheus. This is Screen Rant. Uh, Alien's lore is always changing depending on the media or story, and the history of the Xenomorph is about to be rewritten again. The Alien franchise has been away from the big screen since Alien Covenant's poor box office performance in 2017, all but killed any chances of David's story becoming a trilogy. The Xenomorph is returning to movie theaters in 2024 with the upcoming Alien Romulus, but the saga's canon is also expanding through a TV show. This is the... Uh, Noah Hawley's thing. Although not much is known about FX's Alien series in terms of plot and characters, it is already one of the most exciting Alien projects in years. Okay. The show, which is being helmed by Noah Hawley, marks the first time Alien will tell a story on TV. Even if the series does not focus on the origins of the Xenomorph, it is bound to rewrite the creature's history after what was established in Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Noah Hawley's comments on his upcoming Alien TV show all but confirms it will not adhere to the events of Prometheus and Covenant. Hawley noted how he prefers to view Alien's titular monster as the product of millions of years of evolution rather than a bioweapon created half an hour ago. So that's encouraging. 
maybe a little bit. Uh, Ipo says, really enjoyed the show. Got to go. Be back for more and share with friends. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. That is that is always gratifying that uh, uh, that people like what we do here and come back for more. So that's uh, you are you are more than welcome to be here. And even if we do something you don't like, that's okay too. But yes, thank you very much for being here. Have a great day and, and be back soon. Uh, okay, let me do this real quick. I will put in the chat the link. Uh, did I do? Where is it? Um, it doesn't look like I put it in here. Let me put it in there. There we go. All right, so now I can pin that and pin that. So those of you who are watching, you can join the show and take over a little bit if you want. Now, something that I need to make clear for those of you who have been here for a while, this open line thing, the way we do this, we've got the we've got the news headlines and the monologue in the first hour. We've got the interview and panel discussion stuff in the second hour. Third hour is the open line call. And I I want to make clear that there is no 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 set of expectations here with open line. If you want to join the program and speak your mind and say what you think, ask your questions or whatnot, you're more than welcome to. If you don't want to, you don't have to, and you know there's no obligation here. But also, if you do call in, because we've got we've got roughly an hour. If you do call in, you don't have to stay for the full hour. I'm 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 I got to thinking this morning because we haven't got a whole lot of people that call in. And this is kind of a new thing, and and not too many not too many channels do this uh, in terms of just let's just open up the phone lines and go and see what happens, um, because it is kind of a dangerous thing to do sometimes because you don't know what's going to happen. But the randomness of it, I thought you know we can do this. We can because we don't have a huge audience, and most of you for the most part all the time are 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 pretty well behaved and and rational, reasonable people. But I got to thinking this morning, what if people are not calling in because they don't want to be here for an hour? They they don't have they don't have the time. They don't have they don't want to be, you know, exposed for that long or or in, involved in the conversation. Maybe they I can't go for an hour. I only have five minutes. That's okay. Even if you if you just have five minutes, or if you have fifteen minutes. Or you just want to come in and ask a question and leave? That's fine too. There's there's no fixed set of rules here. There's no there's no criteria uh, for participating in these conversations. So I, I I wanted to just put that out there, just in case the notion of being part of a live stream for any length of time is intimidating people. You don't you don't have to be you're you're in a safe space here. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be nervous. You can just dial in and say what you think. And if nobody does, that's fine, too. I can just keep going with stories that we've got, like this from The Guardian. Talking about the Walt Disney Company. Mutiny at Disney is the headline. Bob Iger's fight to right the ship faces showdown with shareholders. This is Callum Jones reporting from New York in The Guardian Friday the 26th. And there's some stuff in this article that is not accurate based on what we know from other sources. 
I'll say it that way. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so from the article, Bob Iger wished his colleagues smooth waters ahead as he stepped down in 2021 after 15 years at Disney's helm. They approved anything but. Eleven months later, he was summoned out of retirement. Iger, who had been lauded for transforming a rusty Hollywood tug into a gleaming flotilla of new media entities during his first stint in charge, was given a second stint to steer the company back on course. The seas have yet to calm. Now pirates are looking to clamber aboard as the renowned activist investor Nelson Peltz fights to shake up its board. All right, couple of things. Couple of things. One... Iger might have been summoned out of retirement, but he never left. Let's let's make sure that people understand. Bob Iger never left the Walt Disney Company when he stepped down as CEO. He didn't even leave the office that he had as CEO. He still had it. Chapek didn't take the CEO's office with the spiffy shower. Iger kept it. Iger was still on the property. He's still on the grounds, casting a shadow over everything that Bob Chapek was trying to do. So let's be clear about this. Bob Iger never left. So it's disingenuous to sit there and say, well, Bob Iger kind of rode off into the sunset and he wished him well. And was like, no, he never left. He was always looking over Bob Chapek's shoulder. And when he was summoned out of retirement, it was not some random thing either. Because the way it happened, a lot of us have our suspicions that Bob Chapek was getting too close to something that people did not want him to know or find out, and there was a panic because of the way that Bob Chapek was let go and the timing of it and how it happened and when it happened. I mean, in the middle of an Elton John concert on a Sunday night, that's not when you have a smooth, you know, Bob, it doesn't really seem like it's working out. Now, this comes just weeks, it just days, week, uh, a couple of weeks after the board of directors of the Walt Disney Company re-signed a new contract with Bob Chapek, a new three-year deal. They didn't just extend the existing contract. They set up a new contract for another three years. He wasn't even done with the first one. They said, no, we want to keep going. And we have all of the confidence in the world in Bob Chapek. And then suddenly, something happened. And Bob Chapek was gone. And... Bob Iger is summoned out of retirement. No, 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 no. There are suspicions. There are rumors. There are people who who firmly believe that Iger orchestrated this somehow. Or Iger's people did it in order to get him to come back. Now, the other problem with that is, yeah... He, he 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 transformed the Walt Disney Company, but he did it by spending billions of dollars on other stuff that other people had created. Pixar, Lucasfilm, Marvel, 
These were all stuff that he didn't have, that he didn't have anything to do with. And the Walt Disney Company didn't have anything to do with 20th Century Fox. And the, the reason why they got Marvel and Lucasfilm was because the Disney brand, for the longest time, has been, you know, family entertainment, Disney princesses. There's a skew toward a female demographic there. And Iger rightly recognizes if we're going to try to attract the boys, if we're trying to trying to attract a male demographic, then we need other product in order to pull in the male demographic. So, okay, yeah, at the time, you buy Marvel, you buy Lucasfilm, let's go ahead and do it. Except this is the kind of thing. And then they sit there and say, pirates are looking to clamber aboard. That, I don't think, is a very fair characterization of what Nelson Peltz and the Triad Group is trying to do. Nelson Peltz is sitting there going, you guys are losing money. The brand value has taken a hit under your watch, board of directors, and has continued to lose value under your watch, and it's time to do something about it. And changes need to happen. And here's what our plan is. Here's what we're going to do. <coughs> so it's going to be interesting to see because the shareholder, uh, the shareholder meeting is coming up, and who knows? We'll see what uh, we still what's going to happen. All right, uh, standing by Stephanie Janchek for joining us now. How are you, young lady? I'm doing good. Um, I don't know if you talked about this yet, but Disney lost their case against DeSantis. Do what? So, Disney lost their case against Florida for Reedy Creek. Really? Um, no, I hadn't seen that. Is that is that just breaking? Let me let me look at my name. Yeah, it is. Uh, let me go to my ex account here. Yeah. Um, oh, here okay. we go. All right. Yeah, let's pull this up. Uh, Ron DeSantis wins one. Disney suit against Florida governor tossed by the judge. Yep. Uh, okay, this is deadline um, just a couple of hours ago. Dominic Patton, Ted Johnson on the byline. Uh, Donald Trump can beat Ron DeSantis, but turns out the Walt Disney Company can't. Well, there's a heck of an opening line for you. A federal yep. judge just dismissed... The Bob Iger run corporation's First Amendment lawsuit against the Florida governor and and failed GOP presidential candidate. They always got it. They always that. What does that have to do with this? Uh, after a hearing and having carefully considered the party's arguments, I now grant both motions. Wrote United States District Judge Alan Windsor on Wednesday. Nearly long. Uh, two months after said hearing, that was a weird. That's written badly. The Central Florida Tourism Oversight District Board, the group that now oversees a swath of Central Florida where Walt Disney World sits and was also a defendant in the case, along with DeSantis and a number of top members of his administration. That that's a that's a that's a, fra a sentence fragment. Who yeah. this is badly written, Dominic. All right. Uh you want to say something? Yes, you want to say something. You got to remember, they don't teach you how to write anymore. I, they well, teach you I mean, how to have an opinion, to cry in the corner over DEI yeah. stuff. 
and uh, writing's not it. In short, Disney lacks standing to sue the governor or the secretary, secretary of state, I guess, and its claims against the CFTOD defendants fail on the merits because when a statute is fa facially constitutional, a plaintiff cannot bring a free speech challenge by claiming the lawmakers who passed it acted with a constitutionally impermissible purpose, the judge added. Okay, so this is this is um, this has been tossed without prejudice, so they can bring another lawsuit on this, and yeah. it's only just one of many uh, legal situations, shall we say, that Disney is facing with regard to Florida. So. Um, yeah. Kind of a win for Disney, you know, kind of a win for Florida right now. But if Disney can take another swing at it, you better bet they're going to. Yeah, they'll, they'll try. Um, it's, it's very interesting when it came up. There's a lot. I mean, this feeds right into Nelson Peltz pointing to the board saying they're out of touch. Yeah. You know, yeah, it does. It does. This um, more ammunition. Uh, and I was, uh, thinking about what you were talking about before and um Iger should have stopped when he bought Lucasfilm um I look at him and think you knew after Rogue One came out Kathleen Kennedy is not fit to leave that studio yeah. I and mean, all the rumors came out you know the fact that J.W. Rensler wasn't allowed to talk about the problems with the TFA um, and it wasn't just Harrison Ford getting his, his ankle broken. Uh, from what I gathered, uh, seeing him interviewed by Not My Star Wars, God bless his soul, um, both of them actually, God bless their souls, uh, there was a lot of really um, incompetent boobery going on, even with uh, the filming of TFA. Yeah. And it when I look at Iger, I say, you never should have renewed her contract after the first time. I don't care how many billions come up with a reason and make her go away. She was never supposed to be there to begin with, that, as long as she was. Secondly, after Solo, a Star Wars story comes out and goes like that, why did you resign her? Why did you, you know, so what if TLJ made a billion? The last movie was Solo that came out. And that was horrific. You know, then he goes up and gets gaslighted by Rupert Murdoch masterfully to buy a box. And he didn't have the money. To, they didn't have the money to do it. They, they still don't have the money to do it. Yeah. And that's all him. He's the one that got them into debt. He's the one that led them down that merry, merry path. And he's the one that wouldn't lead when he had to. Well, and and the the other the other aspect of that is the plan that he's following, ish ostensibly to fix things, is yeah. Bob Chapek's plan. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, how how is this any different from what Chapek had in had in mind in order to course correct? But yeah. you know, Chapek gets scapegoated. And now, you know, Iger comes in and he's supposed to be the white knight on the horse and 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 I sure fine acknowledge that it's been more of a challenge than you expected it to be, Bob, but this is all your fault to begin with. Yep, it is. And you know, 
like I said on, on Comrades Patreon, I respect Iger as a survivor. I mean, he's been there for what, almost 40 years. Yeah. Um, he's he's a a charming guy who gets the, who who the creatives like. But when you look at the people he's chosen that were chosen not not by him but by the people he chose to lead studios. They chose activists. Chose people who are not talented enough to carry stories forward. Um, you know, why didn't he look at Kathleen Kennedy when she said, why don't we bring in Ryan Johnson? He said, he's never directed a movie this big. Why would I have, why would you want him to, you know, instead of tr trusting her? And then from what I remember, the rumors being his shot demeanor when TLJ crashed, and it did. It was it was projected to what make two billion two point five billion dollars something like that yeah it made one point three billion so it was a billion and a little over of what it was supposed to make all right what's wrong with this picture you know and it just went on now I know that and I believe this now completely that she can't be fired for cause which is like. Yeah. What? That's got to be something that Pelts has noticed. You, you, you know, the faltering of, of Kevin Feige, Pixar. Um, the fact that Pixar is facing like what twenty percent of their workforce cut. Yeah, something like that. It's it's yeah. a massive amount. Yeah, it's going to be a massive amount, and those cuts are going to go to Marvel, and probably visit Lucasfilm. All right. Um, and that's all ultimately. Iger, he let these people who didn't care about what they were doing, didn't care about the product, didn't care about the stories that they were writing, and who would get into fights with the fans publicly on Twitter X, and he let he let Kennedy and Feige and do whatever they wanted because they had, all right, Feige had what two moments of of glory. Kennedy had one. It was TFA. Anybody else, when people come to me and say, those movies made $4 billion in gross box office. No, they didn't. They didn't. That's gross box office. That's yeah. not what did calm. Okay. Right. Yeah, because you've got, you got all of the money that the theater's got to take their cut, and yeah. you've got all the, mer uh, the, uh, the marketing and advertising expenses that come out of that. And, yeah, they, they didn't make as much as people may think that they made. Well, the other, the other thing that I find intriguing is, is in terms of the Lucasfilm type of thing is the fact that they invited Takashi Yamazaki to the Lucasfilm campus to screen Godzilla Minus One. And my question there is, who invited him, and what's the motivation behind it, and what's going to come out of that? Because you know that there was a discussion. Are, are, I... Are they? Is this John Favreau bringing in somebody who can make a, a special effects extravaganza for only ten million dollars, and we're going to let him make a Star Wars? I, you know, I, I anything's possible. Um, and it, the fact of the matter is, when it was announced he was being invited to Lucasfilm to screen that movie, 
Kennedy was nowhere to be mentioned. She was yeah. not there. She wasn't mentioned. And you're going, that's interesting. That of itself is interesting. Um, and the fact that, you know, I was messing around on Twitter today, X, and a certain Lucasfilm employee scrubbed his X account of anything recent he was talking about. Oh, really? January 7th. Um, and now his private stuff, the stuff that he, that the general public can't read, he still got the conversation or part of a conversation up where he was talking to the, the reporter that insisted that the Ray movie isn't delayed. But what was intriguing after that, someone named Brian came in and said they dismissed the pre-production staff and they didn't give them a new startup date. So, you know, uh, Lucier goes, well, where'd you hear that? And the guy, the guy, Brian, I think his name is said, I'm not telling you that. So they were caught in a lie. Now, um, I don't think they had a pre-production staff because there's no script from what, and I'm going with that. And if there was, um, I honestly think that, um, well, we would know about it or it, would, it gets sent back to Stephen Knight. Yeah. E even if, even if you're just at the script phase, you're right. There, there doesn't have to be a whole lot in terms of other personnel on board that particular project yet because you don't really go into pre-production with set designs and concept art and you know hair and makeup and all that yeah. stuff until the script is locked you know it, at the very least you you've gone down that road so you're closer to a final draft you're not yeah. working just off the first draft you don't start hiring people until you've got a better sense of what kind of story you're going to tell yeah yeah so that's that's the thing I was like, okay, so I sent it to Conrad and he said that they're not even close to having a pre-production staff. But it was intriguing that this guy basically called Pablo and that reporter out for lying. Okay, because that's what that was. He's like, you're not, because when you open it, when you read the article, basically it's still delayed. It's clickbait. Yeah. It's designed to cause consternation among the fans um but yeah that certain lucasfilm employee uh completely wiped his public profile out of any recent anything recent yeah. and i was looking at it going you know i don't know i'm not going to make any um uh predictions or anything but i did uh tell a few people that could probably find out uh, you want to know what's going you, you, what, what's going on here because this, like, like I've said, this February is going to be very interesting. I think in a lot of reasons. Um, uh, the 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 weirdo stuff going on about the Ray movie, and now it seems to have died off. Um, yeah. The the fact that they're they're not talking about no one's talking about the Mandalorian movie at all, um, and that was exactly in my opinion what what whoever wanted to take away the thunder from John and Dave, bring up the Ray movie and piss off everybody. Well, and, and here's another, here's another theory is the, it could be a circle the wagons type of thing where 
any press coverage of any projects at Lucasfilm, depending on what's reported and depending on where what outlets and, and whatnot, maybe maybe the Disney and Lucasfilm people are at a point where we don't put anything out that could possibly be used by Nelson Peltz to strengthen his position. Yeah. So we're just not going to talk about anything right now at this point. Yeah, I think I think that is valid. I'm I look at it as when I'm when I'm thinking about the divisions going on, I think within that company. And you've got, you know, Favreau and Filoni, and they've got what they're doing. And that's what's happening. And you've got probably a small cabal of people who genuinely or appear to have like yes sir, no sir to both of them and are seeding, you know, their little minions out there among the fan groups, this garbage, okay? And when uh, Obai Chinoy starts yip-yapping about this stupid movie, it's never going to happen. Then they come out and make the, the uh, announcement that there's a Mando, Yoda movie, or a Baby Grogu movie coming out, and Ahsoka season two is, is, is coming. It's, it's in development. Probably re probably reworking the scripts again. Yeah. Then we get another we get this article saying the the Ray movie is not delayed. You know, and then you see Pablo was talking to the writer that wrote it. You know, it's like I would probably you know I'm not going to say who, but someone did alert Lucasfilm to the fact that this person was talking to that writer. I don't know who it was. It might have been me. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, and I did it because you're, you're, you, you either are loyal to the company and doing your job, keep your head down, and try not to cause trouble. But if you do this stuff out there and in the, in, in pretending like whatever, you need to go. You need to go. It's, it's time. No. It's past me. Um, but... I think that, you know, that if the emails are real, and I don't, I don't doubt that they are. Um, I think Bob Iger is now kind of worried about if he dumps them, what's what's Pelt's going to do? So, which which emails would these be? Those would be the ones that Drunk Three PO talked about. Okay. On culture, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, Comron reached out to Sparrow. Sparrow said, "Yeah, that's what they. That this is what." They've been. This is what's been going on here for the last since last July. Okay, so anything that was collected is in that. Um, and you know, me, I'm like any other year, I would have dumped them immediately um, because what I think they're trying to do, what they like to do, is see her resign, like now, sure, like um, instead of waiting for October. Um, but you know, now there's, um, a rumored startup day for, for the Mandalorian movies to start filming on, on June 17th. Uh, that, that came from some, uh, 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 I think, uh, message board, whatever. Um, and they've, they've just got, it's, it's, there's transparency which I appreciate. And then there's a secret squirrel stuff where somebody nefarious can create a narrative that's not true. 
And that's what's going on. Well, and I also found it interesting because I I was watching uh, a couple of nights ago, Doomcock had a report on the Acolyte and how much of a mess that is. And, And he's saying that he's now being told that so much footage has been shot for various different versions of the thing. And I, and I thought, well, wait a minute. I, I didn't think, you know, this, I had not been following it that much, but we, it feels, it feels like suddenly we've gone from just a little bit being shot for, for sizzle stuff to now we have so much that we could, you know, we don't, and we don't know what to do with it. But then you yeah. also have the, the 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 over on the Marvel side, you've got the new Captain America Falcon show, yeah. Yeah. you know, going into reshoots between May and August, from May to August. That's four months. Yeah. That's that's that's, sh- that's shooting in the uh, that you can shoot an entire movie, two movies in two in four months. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's got to be a major thing, and I would imagine that that. Pelts and and his group are looking at every single thing. Yeah. And yeah. now you've got this announcement for for from Universal for their Epic Universe Park that dropped yesterday. Or, yeah. And and that looks phenomenal. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to eat Disney's lunch over that. Walt Disney World is now on notice in terms of their competition from down the street in Orlando. Yeah. So. And they, and they deserve it. I mean, you know, again, uh, the leadership of Bob Iger, um, is lacking. You know, the fact that, you know, he, Kathleen Kennedy can just, could, could just mock him at star Wars celebration is like, what? Okay. I froze. I froze. Yeah. I see he, that. You're, I, you're, st- I can still hear you though. Okay, you know, um, and the fact that, uh, you know, you still have what appears to be... Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't Uh, miss our next broadcast. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. You know, I don't think putting a few low-level employees, like the one I was talking about, uh, putting them out is going to piss people off. Okay, it's not going to make him go. You know, they're finally doing something about this. I, I think letting it happen over and over and over again is the problem. And there's a point where you have to be the boss. You know, you have to say, look, I, I can't, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. And we know that Iger said that to people, but he's not because a lot of the stuff is still happening in a way. He's not meant it. And I think Victoria Alonso's scalp wasn't big enough. I think, I think so. I think, you know, uh, laying off a few uh, bigger, you know, big fish in, in other studios might give people the idea that maybe they should shut up and, and do their jobs, you know? Um, but see, I look at it and go, um, Something's gonna change. You know, I give I give Pelts fifty fifty chance to get on the board. And if that's the case, Iger won't let won't be there next year. He they'll they'll get they'll they'll get rid of him. Um you know, because something has to change. Okay. Yeah, it does. And 
it's 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 past time. Uh, Iger coming back and then instituting what Chapek wanted to do. You know, it's like, what would be the difference? Nothing. Now, Chapek showed weakness when he allowed uh, Reimagine Tomorrow to, to kidnap him and make that hostage video. Right. Um, it's just a lack of leadership everywhere. Uh, well, and, and, you know, implementing Chapek's plan for Iger yeah, is not necessarily we're we're not going to acknowledge that it was JPEG's plan because it's Bob Iger saving the company. It doesn't matter whose plan it was, it's Iger that's now the one front and center that's doing it because it's still it's still his legacy that he's got to prop up and salvage because I I still think at some point Iger is going to try for a political career. I think maybe, but I think I think his chances are less. I, I think his chances are worse now than they were, because of all of the damage that's been done to the company. But he's probably thinking, you know, if I can save it, then you know, I, if I pull out a win, then maybe I can still be a viable candidate. Because who else do the Democrats have? Well, right they now? don't. I mean, no, they don't. Uh, you know, my husband thinks Michelle Obama is going to be the presidential nominee. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't think she wants it. I mean, that would shock me. Yeah. I think Gavin Newsom would be galloping after that nomination like uh, a greyhound on acid. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, greaseball Gavin. Yeah. Um, well, he's he has said that he's not going to challenge creepy Uncle Joe. So, uh, you know, there's. There, there may be somebody else in the running that we don't know about yet. Um, yeah. But you know, we've got to wait. We've got to wait for her birthday before she turns thirty-five, and then you know they can install her in. So. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, she walks out to debate Trump, and he just starts laughing at her. I mean, that's what would happen. Everybody would. Um, I think. All right, they could they could run Kathy Hochul. Uh, Governor. I don't know. She's she yeah. She's nah, maybe, maybe. Um, they could run uh, uh, that creepy chick from the governor of Michigan, uh, who looks like a fatter version of Kathy Hochul. To be honest, they look like <laughs> um, you know, hatched out of the same brood. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, yeah. it could be. Really, anybody. Uh, but I think the fact of the matter is, my old boss, Mr. Army, would always say, if it's not close, they can't cheat. Doesn't look like it's going to be very close right now, but who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, Quinnipiac put out a, look like an outlier poll today, where Biden's beating everybody. And it's like, where did you do that poll in? Lansing, Michigan, outside the campus. <laughs> I mean, what? Uh, anyway, I mean, but you know, I don't. I I try not to think about that stuff too much because it's it's but, after, after going through it with uh, the first time with Bush, and basically having a go bag packed in case I had to go down to Florida to monitor the vote count. Um, 
I, I just, I look at it and go, it's interesting, but you leave too much of yourself on the table for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think Iger is looking at a couple of different things there when it comes to the, the political aspect of it. He's got to save the company first before yeah. he can do anything, before he can even be considered as a viable candidate for whatever office, whether it's president or anything else, governor or whatever. And yeah. this this uh, win for Florida today is a definite setback for that. Um, yeah. And I'm and and you know, is it going to be worth it to pursue it even to try again? And that's with and that's, Nelson Peltz breathing down his neck, and you're you're still going to try to do this, right? Uh, it would not be a, a very good idea, I don't think. I don't think it would be a good idea either. Uh, I, l I look at it and go, you only have a small window of political capital. It's that big. Ron DeSantis could tell you about that. Yeah. You know, and I like Ron DeSantis. I don't hate him. Uh, going up against the 800 pound gorilla in the room was a stupid idea. Um, and, you know, now he seems to be back to the old Ron DeSantis we all knew and loved. But Trump fans have a long memory. And they will remember this, his little two-step dance with the Paul Ryans of the world. And they don't want nothing to do with it. I mean, and they won't, they won't forget, you know, um, they won't, because I won't. Uh, and to be honest, DeSantis ran a poor campaign. Right. He really, really, really did. Uh, and uh, the only person who's doing worse is Nikki Haley. It's like. Stop! Just go away. No. You know, could you sound more like Hillary? You know, um, it, it's it, it's not. It, it's 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 time for people to be united, and you know, if if God help us, President Trump is not on the ballot. RFK Jr. is. I'm voting for RFK Jr. All right. Why? Because at least I know someone is honest on the ballot. And he's not a politician. And there's, they fear him as much as they, as they fear Trump. They do. And I'm fine with that. I, I, I've given up. Uh, and it's not compromising my moral beliefs. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think Bobby Jr. would throw you into a camp for disagreeing with him on abortion. Yeah. You know, I just, he's, he wouldn't do that. Any any of the rest of the, the Democrats? Yeah, they would. They would. I mean, seeing in Iowa six pro-life activists being uh, probably sentenced to prison terms for praying outside an abortion clinic. Yeah, in I Iowa. saw that. I saw that. That's 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 going to get ugly. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, um, as far as as far as the Disney stuff go, I mean, stocks down again. It's still it's still in the mid nineties range. Um, Iger's, Iger's got a, a heck of an uphill battle to fight in yeah. order to save this. I don't think he can, I don't think he can pull out a win. I, I think he is, he is so far deep in this yeah. that he, it's fire sale time. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that, um, well, first off that he was the one that made all the deals with China. Yeah. Dumb. Dumb move, dumb. I would rather make a deal with John Gotti. 
in the Gambino crime family. <laughs> you know what you're getting with that. Um, uh, that that would be something to disentangle and Disney from. They don't need it anyway. They don't get any, I mean, he was looking at that big box office. They only get 20%. The Chinese, the, the CCP keeps all of it. Yeah. Your movie makes 20 million. You're getting 2 million back or whatever. Like two, yeah. Yeah. It's not very much. No. And it's, and it, so really it's, it's a stupid, stupid business idea. Um, probably figure out a way to separate owning the park in Tokyo from the company, um, get an Asian land, real estate, whatever that's called, that's their partner and let them own it fully. Um, disentangle your money from Asia. All right. They'll free up money. Uh, I'm going to say it's silly as PN. They don't need it. Why do they have it? Um, and, you know, get, you know, pay off some of your debt because that's the bad part. Yeah. And, you know, like, fix the leadership issues going on at Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, etc. He's already done it at Walt Disney Studios. He's already done it at Walt Disney Animation. All right. It's time to go to the other studios and say, you know, we have these names. They've been on, you know, Disney's HR radar for, for a year now. It's time for them to go. I mean, your biggest cost in overhead is your payroll. Right. You know? And it's it's like, why are you paying these people who are undermining you? If you can get rid of Victoria Alonso, why can't you get rid of this person and that person and this person and that person. You know, and, and there were a lot of people that were asking that question at the time because, okay, you just got rid of her yeah. and Christine McCarthy leaves around that same time. And, yeah. you know, the word came out that maybe that was not necessarily all her idea. Yeah. So we knew at the time that established that Iger was willing to take some scalps for some people that we thought were in the protected class. Yeah. So why didn't he get rid of Kathleen Kennedy at that time? Why didn't he call for her, you know, have a quiet conversation over coffee and say, Kathy, it's time for you to retire. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, I think the whole thing about the Viking funeral, I think is true. I th when, when you read D Daisy's reaction to being there um, uh, and going out there and saying, yeah, we're doing a movie, I guess. Um, well, and, and in, in that time since, we, you know, she's confirmed that it was laid on at the last minute that, you know, Kennedy came yeah. in and let's have breakfast. And, oh, by the way, we're doing a Ray movie. And, oh, okay, great. Let's, let's do it. So... You know, we're we're finding out afterwards that yeah. well, it's just like everything else that Lucasfilm's been doing since since Disney bought them. They don't have a plan. We're just yeah. gonna throw some stuff up on the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, and it also when you watch that whole video, John Favreau walks off the stage, followed by Dave Filoni. Mm -hmm. They were pissed. I mean, he was pissed, and. Everything that we were told about what it was going to be, 
her Viking funeral, we're all going to celebrate Kathy. Yay, yay, yay. Golf clap. Um, I think it had to be true because Daisy's still confused about what's going on with Ed. She says there's no script. Like, what, a month and a half ago, two months ago? Yeah, something like that. You know, then the story comes out that Stephen Knight has given scripts to Lucasfilm, but they sent him back with so many notes that he, like, is about this close to, you know, saying yeah. shove off. Well, and he's working on Peaky Blinders right now anyway. So it's like, okay, when is he going to have the time to go back and do a new draft? Or are we just yeah. going to hand it off to somebody else? And yeah. is yeah. this the same draft, you know, same story that uh, Damon Lindelof was supposedly working on? I mean, yeah, I, or is this something completely new? I think, you know, when uh, I think Damon Lindelof was told by Disney, he said it, that we're not doing, that the movie's dead, go away. Right. And, you know, and so, you know, he's crying on what variety about it. And I think at that time, Kennedy was told, we are not doing a Ray movie. Okay, we're looking at going in a different direction now because business-wise, it's, it's a bad decision. And she was looking for a way, because she couldn't be fired, to try to force Iger to do it anyway, to give her the 200, what, $25 million to do this movie They'll eventually be almost totally reshot. They'll get to the theaters and no one will go to. Okay. And which is what would happen. No one wants a Ray movie. You know, when I look at, when I look at uh, internet, like trending stuff, that's not real. Um, it's, it's really not something that uh, even impresses me. Like, you know, Gina, we love Gina Carano trending what, two days ago or yesterday? Yesterday, Correct. yeah. Yeah, all day. Now, it'll make, you know, certain Lucasfilm employees upset. Um, and it was, was cool to see. But there's a certain reality to it. Um, but when you've got this Ray stuff, she trended for like like an hour once, like like last week. That's not real. That's that's somebody with. Uh, well, right. you know, I I've been thinking about this, and and just from the different things that that Daisy Ridley has said in interviews, I don't know that it's so much damage control that she's doing, but she's correcting the record as it as as you 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 have her now maybe feeling like she can acknowledge some things that some of us suspected over the years but you know now she's finally able to say a few things maybe because she knows that this project's not really going to happen but but on the flip side of it if we were to get a movie that's focused on ray she's got i mean she's okay as far as a performer goes i mean yeah they gave her terrible material but I wouldn't be opposed to a Ray movie if you could convince me that it's going to be a good story. And that that's where it comes down to is, on the face of it, just concept-wise, yeah, you could do Ray re- rebuilding the Jedi Order or whatever you want to do if it's done well. And I don't think that with current leadership at Lucasfilm, you could do that. I I think that 
seeing her up on the screen, the idea of Ray would repel the audience. You might get, you know, her diehard fans, which they're dwindling now. Um, you don't really see Raylo popping up anywhere. Right. I don't. I don't think anybody would go to it. I don't. It might. You know. I like to tell people Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was a better movie than the critics have given it, but for Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who pro whose part probably should have been given to somebody softer. Um, you can get a strong female character and not have her act like that. Yeah. Because she was the thing that was repellent. Everybody else wasn't. Um, and, you know, I, I look at liberated women who run around in bed hop. And when I think about that, I think about Sex in the City, Samantha Jones, who did not act like a man at all. Mm -hmm. She didn't. Second of all, she used her femininity to get a foothold with the guy. Not... It was when I, there were a few scenes where Waller Bridge is flirting with some, you know, a deckhand or something. It's just like, because it's like two guys flirting. It was totally gross. And <laughs> it really took me out of my seat. It took me out of the movie. Yeah. She was what was repellent about it. But again, the movie as a whole, I have some other issues with it. Uh, you know, a black female CIA agent hanging around with a German. Uh, 1940s rocket scientist. Um, okay, that makes all this that makes as much sense as my dad dog wearing a cat suit. Um, right. uh, you know, the stuff like that that was really just like, yeah, this doesn't work for me. Um, and if Waller Bridge's character had been played by another woman, softer, if they'd done her story differently, I probably would have the movie probably would have been a lot more successful. Yeah. But they didn't, and you still had wham in power. And in the end, uh, Kennedy did not get her way with the end. Um, you know, I didn't walk away like feeling dirty like I did after TFA and TLJ and, you know, crying tears of rage after TLJ. Um, I didn't feel that way. All right. I just was like, okay, whatever. And that was, you know, the afternoon that I got a phone call that Kathleen Kennedy had been kicked off the Lucasfilm server from Cameron. And I'm like, you know, you know, we, we talked about that and I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, so that was a, a momentous day for me. But the fact of the matter is the last movie she does Loses what three hundred fifty million dollars yeah. because of operations. Because um, when you're looking at production budget, you got to put the budget of the reshoots in there, along with the marketing. So it goes from three hundred million to five hundred million, plus a two hundred million dollar marketing budget or whatever they spent. You're not making anything. You're losing. You're gonna lose your butt on that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Kennedy deserved it. I mean, she, she, she deserved that. Um, and there's no, absolutely no reason for her to still be there, but for why can't he fire her? Because she's got this stupid clause that you, Mr. Iger, never renegotiated. 
there goes some, there goes your power over that company. Because even if you kick her off campus and not let her say anything publicly, she's still there. Yeah. And the shills can can form a narrative that oh she's still in power, Queen Gabby, and the YouTubers that hate her can say the same thing in an opposite way. Who's getting hurt? The franchise, the studio, Disney, and the fans who just want her gone so we can get on with it, which are people like me. Okay, I just I want her gone. I want I want to see her face on there anymore. And here we are, just sitting here going. She's still, what is going on? Anyway, um, you know, and that's all him. That's all him. Yeah. All right, Stephanie, we're going to let you have the last word there. Uh, Thanks for for jumping in and adding that and bringing that news to our our attention. I will will take a look at that uh, court ruling thing and... uh, We'll expand on it a little bit. Uh, those of you who are with us uh, live, even if you're not with us live, you can still check out all of our uh, uh, social media contacts and platforms and links and whatnot and uh, dial in and connect with us there. And also uh, to get ready because tomorrow uh, we will have Aaron Ryan uh, as our guest, uh, he will be here to talk about his new book uh, in the Dissonance Trilogy. So that'll be uh, tomorrow on the program. And I think Friday is probably going to be Open Line Friday. So uh, uh, be ready. Uh, be ready to call in. I can cover and I can I can carry the three hours all by myself. But it's your show. It's your out. It's your it's your day. So, uh, so uh, do be with us here for that. That's uh, it for us today, folks. Thanks very much uh, for being here. You can check out the links to Marisa's uh, work over on uh, uh, in the notes. And uh, we'll be back to do this all again tomorrow. By the way, saw Argyle last night. It was fun. We'll have a review coming shortly. So, uh, so be looking for that over at the dot com. Okay. See ya. Bye. Have a great day. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2024, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.